Okay, good afternoon and welcome to the San Francisco Planning Commission hearing for Thursday, December 15th, 2022. We're going to close out the year with a bang. Um, to enable public participation, SFGov TV is broadcasting and streaming this hearing live, and we will receive public comment for each item on today's agenda. Comments or opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available by calling 415. 655-0001 and entering access code 2485-631-6748. Additionally, you may join us via the WebEx link provided on the agenda. We will take public comment from those persons in City Hall first and then open up the remote access lines. Please speak clearly and slowly, and if you care to, state your name for the record. Each speaker will be allowed up to three minutes, and when you have 30 seconds remaining, you will hear a chime indicating your time is almost up. When your allotted time is reached, I will announce that your time is up and take the next person queued to speak. For those persons calling in to submit their testimony, when we reach the item you are interested in speaking to, press star three or raise your hand via WebEx to be added to the queue. Best practices are to call from a quiet location Again, speak clearly and slowly, and please mute the volume on your television or computer. For those persons attending in City Hall, please come forward and line up on the screen side of the room. Finally, I'll ask that we all silence any mobile devices that may sound off during these proceedings. And I would like to take roll. Commission President Tanner. Here. Commission Vice President Moore. Here. Commissioner Braun. Here. Commissioner Diamond. Here. Commissioner Imperial. Here. Commissioner Koppel? Here. And Commissioner Ruiz? Here. Thank you, Commissioners. First on your agenda is consideration of items proposed for continuance at the time of issuance. We had no items proposed to be continued. However, we did receive a request to continue item 10 for case number 2021-001801-DRP-02 for the property at 1027 through 1029 Clayton Street, a discretionary review um, is proposed for continuance to March 2nd, 2023, and all parties um, are aware and in agreement to that date. Uh, so we should take public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the Commission on item 10 proposed to be continued. Again, if you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star 3 or raise your hand via WebEx. Seeing no request to speak, Commissioners, public comment on your continuance calendar is closed and it is now before you. Commissioner Imperial. Move to continue item 10 as proposed. Second. Thank you, Commissioners, on that motion to continue item 10 to March 2nd. Commissioner Braun. Aye. Commissioner Ruiz. Aye. Commissioner Diamond. Aye. Commissioner Imperial. Aye. Commissioner Koppel. Aye. Commissioner Moore. Aye. And Commission President Tanner. Aye. So moved, Commissioners. That motion passes unanimously seven to zero. And will place us on, under Commission matters for item one, land the land acknowledgement. Thank you. I will join uh, read the land acknowledgement this time. The Planning Commission acknowledges that we are in the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatushawoni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatushawoni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, 
as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. And we wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatushaloni community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Thank you. Thank you. Item two, consideration of adoption draft minutes for December 1st, 2022. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on the minutes. You need to come forward or raise your hand or press star three to be added to the queue. Seeing no request to speak, commissioners, public comment is closed and the minutes are now before you. Commissioner Imperial. Move to adopt the minutes. Second. Thank you, commissioners, on that motion to adopt the minutes. Commissioner Braun. Aye. Commissioner Ruiz. Aye. Commissioner Diamond. Aye. Commissioner Imperial. Aye. Commissioner Koppel. Aye. Commissioner Moore. Aye. And Commission President Tanner. Aye. So moved, commissioners, that motion passes unanimously seven to zero. And we'll place this on item three, um, your 2023 hearing schedule, commissioners. You had adopted the 2023 hearing schedule last week. Uh, and in retrospect, I believe Commissioner Diamond um, overlooked the Passover holiday falling on or about April 6th and is suggesting that we reinstate March 30th the fifth Thursday and cancel April 6th. Thank you, Commissioner Diamond. Did you want to speak to that further? Yes, I, I apologize. I should have noticed it last time. Um, but, um, well, the Passover holiday lasts eight days. The first two nights are traditionally when Jews have uh, Passover seders with their families, and the sixth is the second night. And I think out of respect to those families that celebrate the seder we sh on that night, we should switch the 30th and the sixth, if that's okay. That's fine for my schedule, commissioners. Any comments to the contrary? Okay. We should take public comment. So members of the public, if you would like to address the commission on the 2023 hearing schedule, this is your opportunity to do so. Again, you need to come forward or press star three or raise your hand, seeing no request to speak commissioners. Public comment is closed and the amended 2023 hearing schedule is now before you. Move to adopt as amended. And I see Commissioner Moore also wanted to speak to this. Uh, only wanted to strongly support this. I actually handed out last uh, uh, week a schedule for all holidays, and I'm glad we caught it. This is an important holiday, and I'm in full support. Great. Thank you. I heard a motion. I didn't hear a second. Thank you, commissioners. On that motion to then adopt the amended 2023 hearing schedule, canceling March 30th and reinstating April 6th. Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commission President Tanner? Aye. So move, Commissioners, that motion passes unanimously seven to zero, placing us on item four, Commission comments and questions. Well, I only will say today is our last hearing of 2022, if we can uh, believe that it's already time to start 2023, um, I just want to thank all the staff who help make these commission hearings happen and go smoothly, the public who comes in, and the staff that we don't always see, but I know who are working hard at the department um, and contributing to the projects that we see. And we got to have a, a holiday party last week. It was great to see um, some staff in person and even to note that some folks hadn't met in person yet as we hired new staff during the pandemic who came on um, and started their jobs remotely. And so to the staff who helped to make that event happen, it's not just something fun to do. It really is important part of making our department 
a community where planners feel like they can do their work and know each other and have a good collegial atmosphere and environment. So on behalf of the commission, just want to thank all the staff for their work and for the hosts who put together last week's event. Um, and thank my fellow commissioners for this last year. It's um, been another interesting one. I think certainly uh, more exciting than 2020 uh, in terms of the number of projects, but looking forward to hopefully some more robust sessions and commission hearings in the future. So thank you all for being such good colleagues. And I'll call on Commissioner Diamond. Um, I, I just wanted to point out several events that have been happening in San Francisco in the last couple of weeks that have been really amazing. Um, not put on by the planning department, but really celebrate um, the wonders of our city. In particular, I want to call out Glow SF. I don't know if any of you had the opportunity to see the light show that was put on on multiple buildings downtown particularly the one on the Pacific Stock Exchange building, absolutely spectacular, an incredible opportunity to come downtown, see the best of our city, hopefully stay and dine. Um, and the other is the programming that is being put on on JFK Drive um, in the park. It is not just a closed street. There's spectacular sculpture with the doggy diners, um, uh, roadwork murals, all the Adirondack chairs, musicians, pianos, ping pong. Um, it is it is not just the space, but it's the programming of the space. So an incredible shout out to Park and Rec um, for making us appreciate our assets in ways that you know we might not have been able to previously. Those are just two examples, but it's just fantastic to be able to celebrate so many absolutely wonderful features of our city. Here, here to that. Those have been spectacular. I did get to see the light show and JFK and nodding enthusiastically. Really fantastic. Very, very fantastic stuff. I don't see hands from oh, Commissioner Moore. I see you there. I, I appreciate the upbeat notice of uh, Commissioner uh, Diamond and President Tanner's saying goodbye to the here. On a slightly more somber note, I'm not sure if any of you watched uh, last Tuesday's hearing on the Board of Supervisors where there was an, ex an extremely long number line of people speaking to the eviction of tenants in the um, Oasis Motel on Franklin Street. 56 women and children will be evicted in the next few days because the owner wants to take full control of the hotel again and basically rid himself of people who in the crisis of COVID have been moved into this particular hotel. Uh, it was bringing anybody who listened carefully to tears, hearing the individual stories and hardship that people who not only were losing their home, but a few days earlier had lost their employment, partially at the Twitter building, uh, stand there without any means or any uh, direction of where to go. Uh, the, uh, the board unanimously uh, express strong support and a very open heart and ear to what was being said. I hope that there will be a solution to it. And if anybody wants to listen to what proceeded, uh, you may want to do that. Uh, it was indeed a very moving story. And I want to acknowledge that I walked by there yesterday to get a better understanding of the building and the location and its need to support our disadvantaged community. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Moore, for bringing that um, item to our attention that certainly is one we hope can have a resolution uh, for all those involved. 
Okay, commissioners, if there's nothing further, we can move on to department matters for item five, director's announcements. Good afternoon, commissioners, and happy holidays. Uh, no announcements today. Thanks. Item six, review of past events at the Board of Supervisors and the Board of Appeals. There was no Historic Preservation Commission. They already on their winter recess. Uh, good afternoon, Commissioners. Uh, Aaron Starr, Manager of Legislative Affairs. JFK is truly a great place to go and cycle, but you forgot the beer garden, so that's another thing that's there. Um, anyway, this is the last board report for the year. The board is now on recess. Um, but at land use this week, the land use committee initiated a landmark designation for the Parkside Library, which is located at 1200 Terraval Street. Uh, the initiation was sponsored by Supervisor Marr. Um, this still needs to go before the HPC for adoption and then back through the board's legislative process. Um, at the full board this week, the Automotive Uses Residential Density Ordinance sponsored by the mayor passed its second read. Um, the adoption of the resiliency, safety and resiliency element um, passed its second read as well. The landmark designation for the St. James Presbyterian Church passed its second read. The conditional use appeal for 4835 Mission Street, which is a um, cannabis retail location, was continued to Janu or, yeah, January 24th of next year. And uh, the landmark designation initiation for 1200 Terraville was adopted. And that's all I have for you today. And I hope you have a very happy holidays and safe and fun new year. Thanks. Thank you. Good afternoon, Commissioners, Corey Teague, Zoning Administrator. The uh, Board of Appeals did meet last night and they did hear one item of interest to the Commission. Um, there is a project proposed at 955 Sansom Street. It is a Home SF project. Um, as you may recall, when uh, the uh, kind of market rate Home SF program was adopted in 2017, the Board of Supervisors had kind of carved out the northeast part of the city as where that would not be eligible except on parcels that were either vacant or were large and essentially soft sites developed to no more than 20% of their zoned capacity. Um, this project filed its first applications in January of 21, has been going through the process, um, review process, and is at kind of going through the HPC process now because it is in a historic district. Um, the Waterfront Action Committee had kind of disputed the eligibility of the site for the Home SF um, and the manner in which staff had calculated the uh, that eligibility criteria. Ultimately, they requested a letter of determination, um, and I issued that in uh, early October, determining that the existing building, um, which is a two-story parking garage, only represented about 18% of the zoned capacity, and therefore it did qualify. They appealed that on numerous grounds, but the the primary issues with were that the analysis used represented a project that wasn't really, wouldn't be desirable and may not actually even be fe feasible to, be to build. Um, and our determination was that was kind of not part of the context or requirement in the planning code to consider. Um, there was a pretty lively discussion at the Board of Appeals last night. They were a little conflicted with the wording in the planning code, but ultimately they did vote unanimously to uphold the determination and confirm that the project is eligible for um, Home SF. And so at some point in the future, you may be seeing that project here before you, um, but I'm available for any questions you may have about that issue. Great, thank you. Okay, if there are no questions for the zoning administrator, we can move on to general public comment. At this time, members of the public may address the commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the commission, except agenda items. With respect to agenda items, the opportunity to address the commission will be afforded when the item is reached in the meeting. 
And when the number of speakers exceed the 15-minute limit, general public comment may be moved to the end of the agenda. Thank you. Good afternoon, Georgia Shudish. Um, the PDF I sent on Monday evening illustrates an ongoing issue that I will continue to talk about in 2023. Sometimes, as in the PDF example, both the flat policy and Section 317 demo calcs apply. The flat policy needs to be codified, preserving the existing configuration of flats so as not to be absorbed into one unit due to sliding doors or other slights of hand by speculative developers or lax oversight. The flats in the PDF example were perfectly livable, which even the ads selling the entitlement noted while simultaneously offering it for sale as a single family home. Existing flats provide the type of housing the city needs and they have been obliterated in neighborhoods throughout the city, including the well-resourced neighborhoods. In fact, there is one on the advanced calendar in January. This has happened for years despite Planning Commission Resolutions 16053 from 2000 and 17264 from 2006 and despite Section 317. Two of these reconfigured legal pairs of flats recently sold for over $6 million in well-resourced neighborhoods. Any newly proposed flats, or for that matter, second units, even as an ADU, may need some strict oversight if they are to truly expand housing opportunities. But certainly it would be a surer positive outcome to preserve existing flats with the right policy and proper oversight. And certainly that is true with the Section 317 demo calcs, for if they are not adjusted, they will continue to be a loophole for speculative development like the one in the PDF and will slip through any incentives devised to increase density. Right now, at least to me, the housing market feels like it did after the Great Recession, which saw the incredible misuse of the demo calcs, so much so that staff eventually declared Noe Valley the epicenter of de facto demolition and epicenter, you know, ripples out, as we know. It may be that only the, the only financially viable development in many residential neighborhoods continues to be the high-end single-family home, which takes advantage of the loophole because the demo calcs have never been adjusted, ever, as the commission has the legislative authority to implement under Section 317B2D. Thank you. Okay, seeing no additional members of the public in the chambers coming forward, we'll go to our remote callers. When you hear that your line has been unmuted, that is your indication to begin speaking. This is Sylvester Resides. I agree with Georgia that it's time to have a hearing on 317 demo gaps. Um, I want to ask the Planning Commission to please set a joint meeting with GBI in the beginning of the next year. There have been two stories that have been obscured, but they're real. One was in the Mission Local in the past couple of days about the indictment of a person connected with Mohammed Nuru. This is a project with the, with, to the commission last year, 555 Fulton Street. You might remember it, it was a Trader Joe's addition to a building that was built as upscale condos. Uh, it came to the commission about 
July of last year. In addition, there was an article that was very obscured in the Chronicle. I seem to be one of the only people who found it. Um, on, on the, in Bernie Curran's indictment and his, his coming to court last, last Friday. Bernie Curran was a, pardon me, a corrupt building inspector and he signed off on processes he didn't expect. And so the planning department reliance on the building department to do uh, legitimate permits evaluation when against them is really relevant to the planning department and the planning commission. And so I think between both of those cases which involved corruption in the building department, one, one linked to Mahavan Nuru and various other people, and the other one linked to Bernie Curran and other people in the building department, it's not just two people. I think the planning department needs planning department staff and the planning commission need to be grounded in what the hell is happening with GBI. And they're about to have an overhaul because of development with the membership of the BIC was on the ballot and it passed last year. So there will be a change in the membership um, at, before the 1st of July. Thank you very much. Okay, last call for general public comment. Again, you need to come forward if you're in the chambers. Press star three or raise your hand via WebEx. Seeing no additional requests to speak, commissioners, general public comment is closed. Commissioners, that'll place us under your regular calendar and through the chair, we will be taking items 8A and B out of order for case numbers 2019-021810 CUA and VAR at 729 Bush Street. You will consider the conditional use authorization and the zoning administrator will consider the request for variance. Good afternoon, members of the Planning Commission, Alex Westhoff, department staff. The item before you is a request for a conditional use authorization pursuant to Planning Code Sections 209.3, 253, 303, and 608.14 to permit a retail use on the second floor, approve a building greater than 50 feet in height within an RC zoning district, and to designate the subject property's existing vertical blade sign as a vintage sign. Uh, the site is located at 729 Bush Street, which is in the RC4 zoning district and 65A height and bulk district. The project includes the conversion of and a four-story vertical addition to uh, the historic adult theater space for a five-story over basement, uh, 60 feet above ground building, totaling 6,056 square feet of residential space for four dwelling units, uh, 3,418 square feet of ambulatory surgery center space, and 3,824 square feet of medical office space, and 823 square feet of open space with six class one and two class two bicycle parking spaces and no automobile parking. The proposed second story use is medical offices, which is a retail use, which is conditionally permitted in the RC4 zoning district on second stories and above pursuant to planning code section 209.3. 
uh, regarding the height, the elevator, stair, and generator enclosures cover approximately 28% of the primary roof area, which is an exceedance of the 20% allowable coverage of such rooftop features. Uh, and measuring to the top of these non-exempt rooftop features, the building's proposed height is thus 60 feet. Uh, and thus pursuant to Planning Code Section 253, a conditional use authorization is required as the height is above 50 feet in an RC zoning district. Uh, additionally, pursuant to the project's mitigated negative declaration, a Planning Code Section 608.14 vintage sign conditional use authorization is required. The sign meets the vintage sign requirements as it is greater than 40 years old and it's a cultural artifact which contributes to the city's character and visual identity. Uh, given the RC4 zoning district, a rear yard of approximately 34 feet is required pursuant to planning code section 134. Given the proposed 18 foot rear yard, a rear yard variance is required. Additionally, one of the four dwelling units does not face an open area that meets the minimum requirements pursuant to planning code section 140, and thus an exposure variance is required. The subject building is considered an A-rated property as it is eligible for listing on the California Register of Historic Resources under Criterion 1 for its association with the early development of LGBTQ communities in San Francisco. Specifically from 1968 to 2018, the subject building served as a gay male adult entertainment theater uh, called the Knob Hill Theater. The historic context was evaluating using the 2015 citywide uh, context statement for LGBTQ history in San Francisco, which specified that adult entertainment theaters from the 1960s and 1970s may be determined to be historically significant because they were a unique form of socio-sexual spaces that also played an important role for gay men. Uh, pursuant to the mitigated negative declaration, the project has retained a number of the historic interior and exterior character defining features. Additionally, a robust suite of mitigation measures, including documentation and on-site interpretation have been proposed to account for limited removal and alteration of select features. The project respects the historic resource as well as the lower Knob Hill apartment Hotel National Register Historic District that it lies in through appropriate setbacks, massing, compatible design, and more. Uh, department staff have not received any additional public comments beyond what was outlined in the case report. The department recommends approval with conditions, and the project sponsor will now make a presentation, and I am available to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Project sponsor, you have five minutes. Hi, good afternoon, Commissioners. Brett Gladstone, the land use attorney for the project, and I'd like to introduce Dr. Chen behind me, who is the project sponsor, and uh, I'd like to introduce the architects, John Lum and Michael Morrison, besides me. Uh, the new building will be three floors of dwellings and the three floors of medical use, with one floor of medical use underground. The surgical center, which will include the doctor's office, will help fill a lack of surgical rooms at the nearby St. Francis Hospital. And that's one of the reasons the project is supported by the Asian American Medical Association, whose letter of support you'll see here. The front facade of the existing building will be kept along with the 10 feet of sidewalls behind it, along with the blade sign and the auditorium space. 
The building operated as nightclubs such as Ginza West, Club Hangover, and Melody Lane. And it was a well-known jazz venue for white-only patrons and featured artists such as the great piano player Earl Hines, one of my favorites. This period occurred after a period when African-American musicians were not even allowed to perform east of Van Ness Avenue, and that history will also be on display. Ranging in size between 934 and 3,200 square feet in size, all the residential units will be family-sized. Dr. Chen will live with his four children in the largest top-floor unit. The three most important character-finding features are the blade sign. All the text, by the way, except for the touch our junk wording, will remain. The existing front facade, including the majority of permastone cladding, whether you like it or not, will remain. The interior auditorium theater space of 39 by 18 feet will become the waiting room for patients. A variance is sought, as you know, for two reasons. One, dwelling unit exposure. There's one unit without windows which face bush, and that rear-facing window will face a non-compliant sized rear yard. A variance for open rear yard that will be smaller than the code requires at the residential levels. By the way, the non-residential floor levels require no rear yard setback. This is necessitated by the need for residential space that cannot be built as we wish to build it at the second floor. That's because the medical space planned for the ground floor is being taken up by the large auditorium with, which must stay, and hence the medical space must be on the second floor. And a good deal of habitable space is lost by the fact that there happens to be very long neighborhood, neighboring light wells. Without the variance, they could not be the four family size units. And units of this size are what the, fam what the city needs, and they are needed to make the building economic, make economic sense. Fortunately, this should not have a material effect on the neighboring buildings, because each of those buildings exist at a depth not too much different from the building being proposed. In other words, they're also non-conforming as to the minimum depth of open rear yard. The variance should not trigger material harm to the residents of adjacent buildings since they cannot use their rear yard, since their rear yard is part of a greatly sloped hillside. And several months ago, planning staff asked that we increase the open rear yards, and we did that in the last stage of design. So conditional use permit is being uh, sought for three features of the project. Uh, I think that the staff went through that, so I'll just conclude. Um, the project meets many of the city's objectives. It restores a resident-owned retail service in a downtown area which lacks, which, which, which has many retail vacancies. It fulfills the need for more downtown surgical rooms for an active nearby hospital. It provides downtown residential units of a family size. It conserves cultural resources, and it will provide between 25 and 50 jobs. We're pleased with the positive feedback of the LGBTQ Historical Society and San Francisco Heritage and the LGBTQ plus community, along with the support from the Tenderloin Soma, Western Soma Community Planning Association. Uh, thank you very much, and I will uh, turn it over for questions if you have any for the architects. Thank you. Thank you. We may have some questions um, after public comment for the architect, unless you want to use your 20 seconds. But I'll, I'll waive those 20 seconds. Okay, great. Thank you.
Very good. Then, Commissioners, we should open up public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the Commission on this matter. If you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star 3 or raise your hand via WebEx. Seeing no members of the public in the chambers, we will go to our remote callers. When you hear that your line has been unmuted, that is your indication to begin speaking. Uh, thank you. This is uh, Stephen Vizio. I'm the general manager of the Cartwright Hotel uh, located at 524 Sutter Street. Uh, so this building is basically, um, we're right behind this building. Uh, so the question, the question I have is I, I know uh, you, there, it's referenced that there are some steps to mitigate sound. Um, and I'm wondering what those steps are because obviously we have hotel rooms that face the back of that building. Uh, so that's going to be, depending on noise, that uh, could be a big issue for the hotel. Does that conclude your comments, sir? Okay, very good. Last call for public comment. You need to press star three, raise your hand, or come forward. Seeing no additional requests to speak, commissioners, public comment is closed, and this matter is now before you. Great, thank you. I did want to ask if the project sponsor and the architect team could walk through in a little more detail kind of the, um, the, the programmatic decisions and the kind of design decisions regarding the auditorium needing to shift or adjust the medical center and really trying to understand more specifically the need for not having a co-compliant rear yard. So if you can kind of talk, you mentioned uh, Mr. Gladstone kind of that trade-off and if you could walk us through that. Um, similarly, with that unit that doesn't have the code compliant exposure, love to know a little bit more about um, how you arrived at that. Um, I'm going to ask Michael Morris and one of the architects to go into that for you, and he has a special drawing, I think, for that. Yeah, should we start? You'll you'll have to get before the microphone, Michael. Should we start with the auditorium? Sure, and you can use that overhead projector. And he can also address the noise issue if you wish. Okay, so the auditorium was deemed a historic resource, a character-defining feature, and so it's dead center in the street level of the floor. And so when we originally submitted, we had the medical office at this level, and by maintaining this large volume, we had to find another location for it. Uh, an additional challenge is that it goes all the way to the edge of the building, so you can't route circulation around it, except for on one side. And so it really limited our opportunity to put the medical office in this building without pushing it up to the floor above. And uh, thankfully, there's a large parapet at the front which masks this uh, vertical addition. Sorry, so you, so that the auditorium's right there, and so you push the medical office then to both the below grade and around the auditorium. Is that kind of, and if you, I don't know if you can zoom out the projector a little bit, we can't, oh, there we go. Yeah, Perfect. so the rear exit for the building will have to ride around the side here, whereas the front exit is able to arrive just in front of it. Uh, I think we had to clip a little bit of the front of the auditorium out to fit the stairs. Um, and so there's a separate waiting room for the surgical center that is downstairs on that level, and this is the waiting room for the medical office, which is otherwise the auditorium would be an unusable space. Okay, thank you. And so then you mentioned, it was also mentioned that you did expand the rear yard from previous iterations. How much did it expand, if you could describe that for me? 
Uh, I don't recall an exact value. I think it was about three feet. Um, so we, we have color coded here. You can see there is an additional, during the course of the project, 10 foot front setback for the residential levels. And so that pushed the front of the building back a bit. And then you can see the rear, uh, sorry, the mid span uh, light wells on either side, which eliminate a lot of the space in the middle. And so we were able to fit staircases in the middle for circulation and then units on the two ends for this barbell plan. And uh, for the rear units, John, can you grab that one? Uh, that's back there. Effectively facing the rear yard or the rear of the open space there are the bedrooms. And so by eliminating, by pulling us back to that 25 uh, rear yard setback, we lose the livable space. So the bedroom and that faces the open space and not the courtyard, and then the living room. For the lowest unit, that would become a studio. And then Dr. Chen's unit takes the top floor and the back of the floor above. And it's presently a five bedroom uh, unit for him and his four children. And then by eliminating basically four of those bedrooms, uh, his unit would be dramatically reduced. And I don't know if he'd actually be able to live there on site anymore. Great, thank you. Are there other commissioner comments or questions on this project? All right, I'll go ahead and go forward with the noise. I mean, I don't think of residents or surgery being particularly noisy, but I don't know if you have any comments or if you've talked with that, the hotel about noise yeah, impacts. Yeah, I'm not sure if the question was more about the construction noise or the post-construction noise, but there are regulations for both. And during, through the MMRP, uh, which is part of the CEQA document, there, is require, there are requirements for noise reduction and monitoring. So both the vibrations of the construction equipment and then any of the sound produced by the construction equipment or like the HVAC. So there's noise baffling. Acoustic engineers will develop the specifics for all of that. Great. And Mr. Gladstone, did you have a chance to talk with the hotel before? I'm not sure if this is the first time you're hearing from them. Or... Yes. Um, we send a letter to them. A copy of it's in your packet. Uh, or a copy of the letter sent to all the neighbors, including the Cartwright Hotel, is okay. in your packet. Yeah, we wrote about a two-page letter and encouraged them to call us, gave, this, gave them our cell numbers, uh, and that was about six weeks ago. Unfortunately, we haven't heard from them. Um, okay. Thank great. you. Well, if the caller is still listening, if you hear that, hopefully you do have uh, the information, and if not, you can reach out to our planning staff to get the content information and follow up more robustly um, with the project sponsor. Um, before I turn it to Commissioner Moore, I just want to say I do um, appreciate the attention to retaining a historic feature and um, having it have a new life um, and certainly a unique uh, way to do it and certainly a challenge in some ways, but also a really great opportunity. So thank you for doing that. I do see Mr. Sucre's hand, or sorry, it's the zoning administrator. I was like, where, where? he's over there. How is he raising um, his hand? Um, I'll go to the ZA first and then go to you, Commissioner Moore. Thank you, I appreciate that. And just to touch on the rear yard a little bit more, because we had, had that was an issue a little bit, as you mentioned, you know, it's getting constrained at the front. Um, you have the constraints in the center with the light wells, which, you know, we, we want you to match those light wells with those adjacent properties. Um, but the rear it is, it does extend kind of past the two adjacent buildings um, to some extent. And so I understand that bringing that in more is gonna impact the programming on that southern half of the building, that part of the barbell, so to speak. Um, and I understand any significant shaving off back there is going to you know, reduce bedrooms, unit count potentially. Um, but the one area that I wanted to just see if you could speak to is there's, you know, there's essentially like a bay form that's also added on. And I'm just curious if that, 
Like, is that serving a specific design function other than more area? And if not, is that an area where there it could be a reduction in depth without technically affecting the, um, you know, the the bedrooms and the habitable space or the unit count that could help the project conform slightly more? Yes. Uh, so let me actually grab the other floor. Effectively, you go well, for it, John. I was just going to say that the, when we were working with planning, they did ask us to not the building, and so we felt that since it does, it does reduce any impact to the adjacent properties, that it felt like an appropriate way to still have a slight San Francisco quality to the back. Um, and I, I wanted to state that the, I'm John Lum architect, by the way, <laughs> um, that the one side is 10 feet, eight inches past the existing rear facade, and it's, the other one is seven feet, four inches. So in essence, it matches kind of the setback that was requested by planning from the front. And then uh, two additional points on that. The two adjacent buildings also have bays, so there is a continuity of context there. And then the bays provide basically the usable space in the bedroom from like a seven-foot bedroom to a 10-foot bedroom. I don't, I don't have the exact figures on there, but as I remember working on it in July when we had this discussion last, um, that those were the values we were really struggling with, was can we fit uh, a, enough space for a person to live in this bedroom? Thank you. Do you have any other questions, Mr. Teague? All right, Commissioner Moore? Just jumping in on the bay discussion, as we're dealing with a very skillful expansion of usability of site, increasing square footage dedicated to residential, I would say that the quality of the bedroom, the livable space, I think is greatly enhanced by adding the bay over the somewhat limited or non-functionality of the rear yard in the first place. Uh, I believe that it will be of advantage to people living in and looking at the rear unit from the outside, that it's a better building by having the bay. Uh, generally, I like to say that this project is a great example of how to maximize usability of a site. I believe that combining office and residential uh, on the site is uh, uh, skillfully done, including meeting significant challenges uh, that are posed by historic preservation. The building as it is over the years declined in presence and usefulness on the street uh, as it was just standing there as an empty shell, and I was always wondering what its future would be. And I'm delighted to see a building that fits into context and indeed complement and respects the adjoining residential units uh, on both sides. Uh, I'm in full support and move to approve those conditions. Second. Thank you, Commissioner Moore. Uh, Commissioner Diamond. Wanted to compliment the project owner and the architect on uh, combining historic preservation of the exterior and important interior elements, um, business uses, and residential. Um, it took a lot uh, to get all those to work together. That that you know, it's obviously resonating with a number of us, and so I am also in full support of this. But want to compliment you on figuring out how to make all of that work together. Great, thank you, commissioners. Very good then, commissioners. If there's no further deliberation, there is a motion that has been seconded to approve this matter with conditions. On that motion, Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? 
Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commission President Tanner? Aye. So moved, Commissioners, that motion passes unanimously 7 to 0. Zoning Administrator, what say you? I'll close the public hearing for the variance and intend to grant the standard conditions. Very good. Commissioners, that will place us now on items 7A, B, and C for case numbers 2019-016230 GPA for the Housing Element 2022 update. You're being requested to adopt findings, um, adopt the Housing Element update, as well as initiate future amendments to the general plan if necessary. Thank you. I'm going to call on Commissioner Reese. Yes, I would just like to recuse myself from these items um, because of my involvement with the housing element prior to me being on the commission. Is there a motion to uh, recuse Commissioner Reese? Motion to recuse Commissioner Dr. Ruiz. That was Commissioner Diamond seconded. Thank you. On that motion to recuse Commissioner Ruiz, Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commissioner President Tanner? Aye. So moved, Commissioners. That motion passes unanimously 7 to 0. Commissioner Ruiz, you are hereby recused. Thank you. Um, good afternoon, President Tanner, commissioners. Uh, I'm James Pappas with the planning department staff and the housing element team. Uh, we're here today to request your recommendation to adopt the housing element 2022 update as an amendment to the general plan, along with associated amendments and findings. This plan is the result of thousands of hours and feedback from hundreds of people working to find common ground, excuse me, um, to find common ground and a path forward for housing in San Francisco at a time of change and yet when the housing needs of our people are as pressing as they've ever been. On behalf of the planning department, I'd like to particularly thank the community members and organizations that have provided input on this plan. Their engagement has helped us navigate the tension created when you must both uh, address substantially increased housing production targets, as well as a new focus on racial and social equity, which demand new tools, including new ways of engaging with communities, changing changes to where and what type of housing are allowed, and new levels of community investment. We must also thank the State Housing and Community Development Department, which has been both a rigorous and supportive, supportive partner in meeting new state requirements for housing elements. As a result of this collaboration, 
With communities in the state, we believe that we are putting forth both an ambitious and pragmatic plan. Oh. Can I have a, yeah, thank you. Um, I, we know that we did the land acknowledgement earlier, but it's been an integral part of housing element presentations over the last three years. So we want to, again, acknowledge uh, that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Rimetush Ohlone people. So here's an overview of what we're going to cover today. We're gonna to offer an overview of the housing element itself. We're going to review recent feedback and propose changes to address that feedback since we last came to you for an informational hearing uh, a week ago. And then uh, we're going to summarize the commission actions before you today. So here's what we've done over the last few months and what will come after today. We realize you may be a little bit tired of hearing about the housing element. Um, by now, having had informational hearings on November 3rd, December 8th, uh, we also had an informational hearing at uh, the Board of Supervi Supervisors on November 15th, and we had our initiation hearing on November 17th, about a month ago here at the Planning Commission. In between those hearings, we've been working intensively to respond to feedback from HCD, the public, elected officials, and the feedback that you yourselves have provided in these hearings. Adoption today is essential, as you can see on our schedule, um, to meet uh, state de deadlines for adoption and certification of housing elements by the end of January. Um, HCD has issued a letter to us at the end of the day yesterday, which I, I believe we have, uh, has now been shared publicly. And it is providing a pathway for certification of our housing element, assuming that remaining points have been addressed, and we'll discuss this a little bit more later in the presentation. So, first an overview of the housing element and how we got to the plan before you today. As you know, the process for housing elements has come with greatly increased requirements and scrutiny over our local process as well as new state laws that demand plan accountability and action on everything from reducing constraints to housing development to metrics and monitoring for the implementation of our equity-focused programs. The Regional Housing Needs Allocation, or RENA, uh, the housing targets we must plan for in the plan increased nearly three times uh, from the prior RENA cycle to over 82,000 units, and 46,000 of that is uh, needs to be affordable to low and moderate income households. There are also extensive new requirements uh, regarding how we come up with that capacity as we've discussed before when we've covered the site's inventory um, that requires rigor about estimating both capacity and likelihood of development. And there are new requirements on affirmatively furthering fair housing that have to be addressed not only in the site's inventory and where we plan for housing, but also throughout our programs that are included in the housing element to address racial and economic segregation and disparities in housing access and opportunity. So here are again the key components of the plan, uh, which we have presented before, but we just want to cover here today and summarize. 
Um, it included or includes an assessment of our housing needs, assessment of fair housing, the site's inventory, and uh, analysis of constraints to housing development, and finally, our goals, objectives, and policies, and the implementing programs that describe the actions needed to meet the plan's goals. In addition, our environmental planning team, along with consultants, have provided an environmental impact report, an EIR, and environmental justice analysis for the plan, which can be found on the EIR project webpage. To continue this overview, I'm gonna hand the presentation over to my colleague, Malena Leon Ferreira, who has been working on this plan for over three years. She's been one of the core members of the team, and I'm gonna let her take it from here. Hello, commissioners. Um, here we are. <laughs> Um, this plan was developed during the health and economic crisis and a racial reckoning. Unfortunately, it is in times of crisis, of being out of our comfort zones, that, we, uh, that some of the most significant changes happen. We, we believe these circumstances have strengthened this plan. They focused our collective attention in the deep disparities many of our residents experiencing are experiencing in access to housing and economic opportunity. They've instilled an urgency that elevated the voices of communities of color and low-income communities, and they made us re-examine the values uh, of, our, of San Francisco's housing plan and what they should be. We arrived at these four core values, which have provided the framework for policy and implementation decisions, center the advancement of racial and social equity, commit to eliminating community displacement, making housing affordable to people of all income levels in all of our neighborhoods to expand the individual's choice, provide the infrastructure needed for thriving, healthy neighborhoods and resilient communities, and um, the, this city has an incredible coalition of organizations that are working to center equity in all planning. Their engagement has helped us in na navigate the tension that is created when you decide to treat housing as a right, despite an economic system that at times works against that vision. So, in the next slides, I want to provide an overview of the ways the plan addresses these values while navigating these tensions. Racial and social equity is present throughout the plan, but I want to highlight actions around redressing, around redressing harm and changing the way we plan. The plan calls for truth-telling of past harms through actions that support studies led by affected communities and incorporate their findings in how we redress those harms. It calls for the implementation of housing strategies recommended by the African American Reparations Advisory Committee and for opportunities to give land back to the American Indian community. It calls for the city to invest in home ownership and to provide priority to harmed communities in housing programs and services. It also calls for community-led planning in cultural districts and priority equity geographies, and for equity communities to have the power to define the priorities of this plan, what the priorities of this plan are, and for accountability from the city in implementing these priorities. To eliminate displacement, the plan calls for increasing the capacity and support to community-based organizations linking residents to anti-displacement and eviction prevention services, as well as housing counseling, and for having more culturally competent ser services in doing so. 
Uh, to stabilize our residents, the plan calls for increasing rental assistance and services, especially for very low-income residents and vulnerable populations, such as seniors, people, people with disabilities, transgender, and LGBTQ plus people. Um, it addresses homelessness through the expansion of permanent supportive housing, rental assistance, and a wider range of supportive services. And it, ca it calls for the expansion of tenant protections and eviction prevention services. Finally, the plan calls for anti-displacement investments to accompany any rezonings or investments the city does. To create affordable housing choices for everybody in all neighborhoods, the implementing programs begin by emphasizing the need to substantially increase the supply of affordable housing, particularly for very low-income households. These programs also provide pathways for land banking and expanding funding for affordable housing. The plan satisfies both our adequate sites and AFFH requirements by expanding housing choice and increasing capacity in well-resourced neighborhoods. It also includes a significant number of actions aimed at reducing constraints to the development, rehabilitation, and replacement of housing at all income levels, including permanent affordable housing, shelters, and permanent supportive housing. Finally, the plan aims to foster thriving neighborhoods by creating and expanding programs targeting environmental justice communities for housing rehabilitation that promotes health and safety, ensuring, future housing development, ensuring that future housing developments put us in a path for adaptation and resilience, fostering access to opportunity in priority equity geographies by prioritizing these areas for investments in public transit and community facilities, services, and amenities, and finally, elevating expression of cultural identities through the recognition and development of cultural spaces and the retention and growth of culturally associated businesses and services. As I mentioned before, this plan was built through extensive outreach and engagement. Phase one through three, where, uh, where we provided structure and proactive outreach and engagement. On this slide, you can see an overview of our engagement methods, which went from focus groups to more informal listening sessions to our survey and policy group experts. Acting on our mandate to center racial and social equity, our engagement particularly focused on communities of color and people most vulnerable to housing insecurity while reaching other communities throughout the city. Phase four, which is the, the phase we are in right now, focused on interagency co coordination, providing updates at, at hearings, and responding and capturing ongoing feedback and questions from the public and decision makers. More recently, our focus has been to refine and finalize the plan's implementing programs and actions. This is what will give San Francisco the traction to achieve our core community values and provide accountability before our communities. Refining the implementing programs has been an extensive iterative process, one that went on until yesterday, and one which we've tried to incorporate as much feedback from our equity communities while satisfying state law and requirements. As a general overview, there are nine implementing program areas. These program areas bundle the 340 plus actions in a way that reflects the city's existing agency structure and programs, making it easier 
for each responsible agency to track their tasks, report on progress, and to coordinate these efforts. The first three on the left focus largely on how we assist people impacted by our affordability crisis. The next three the next set, sorry, focuses on directly advancing equity. The last set focuses on expanding housing choice and neighborhood quality. I will now hand it over to James to present on recent feedback and how we've been incorporating it. Thank you. So I'm gonna pick up where we left off last week uh, and it's been a busy week. <laughs> Um, we've heard feedback on the plan from the public, from various community organizations, uh, and from HCD. And uh, so I'm going to summarize some of the feedback that we've heard, and then um, and talk about how we've responded. <clears throat> so. Um, We've had the opportunity actually to meet with HCD twice in the last week, and of course we've received a letter which is in response to the second draft of the housing element. Now, the second draft was submitted in October, but we've had an iterative process which we've tried to keep the public, or we have kept the public informed of that process, and of course the commission informed of that process, updating iteratively, working to respond to HCD's comments. So the the interactions that we've had over the last week have really been about refining these last pieces um, that we heard about in their letter. So some of the things that we've heard about in the last few weeks are um, enhancing language about compliance with uh, state requirements, uh, improving language in the plan on our surplus land program, uh, adding outreach to tenants, owners, and nonprofits about at-risk affordable housing, as well as demonstrating our commitment to preserve and acquire affordable housing. They've emphasized objective standards and reduction of constraints in the plan. And we've also talked about uh, this potential for Redina, RENA production shortfalls and um, having actions in the plan that would address those shortfalls. In terms of feedback that we've received from the public, uh, we've heard a range of comments. Some were very specific to particular actions within the plan. For example, actions regarding study of highway removal. Um, communities really wanted an assurance that that would be done in consultation with communities that are geographically impacted by those changes wanted more protections for um, tenants that may be in buildings that would be uh, potentially subject to demolition. Um, we, wanted, we heard that people wanted an earlier convening on affordable housing funding and land banking to identify solutions earlier in the plan. And we heard the, some concerns about the, the so-called so circuit breaker or mid-RENA cycle um, uh, response if production is below um, our projected pipeline. These are actions 8.15 and 8.18, which studies constraints. We heard concerns that they're in conflict with other parts of the plan. We heard uh, uh, advocacy for adoption of the um, REP Coalition Citywide People's Plan and, and desire to uh, see recommendations from that plan uh, included in the housing element. Um, and 
Uh, we also heard advocates who, in relation to 8.1.5, again, the circuit breaker action, wanted to see an expansion of that action and um, stronger uh, commitments or stronger language included into that. So really a range of, um, a range of feedback that we've received. So in terms of how we've responded, um, again, we've been moving uh, quickly to update the materials um, in the housing element to respond to the feedback that we've been hearing. And so for the um, hearing today for adoption, we've included an updated versions of various associated pieces of the plan um, that uh, correct errors or make clarifications um, make some technical changes to the site's inventory and other documents. Um, and we've also revised implementing programs. This is included in a memo that's been provided to the Planning Commission and published on the Housing Element Project website. These include responding to the various comments that we've received from the public and uh, HCD, including uh, expanded tenant protections in buildings that may be subject to demolition, um, incorporated in, in increasing engagement with communities who would be impacted by studies of freeway removal. And we've also added uh, additional clarifying language on action 8.1.5. So I, I did want to note on action 8.1.5 and 8.1.8 8 that these are, I, we've, we've heard some concerns that these actions came uh, seem to come relatively recently into the plan. And we wanted to note that um, these actions, 8.1.5, which specifically is uh, designed to respond to the pipe, a slow production of the pipeline, and then 8.1.8, .8, which is an analysis of cumulative constraints, both of them were referenced in HCD's August letter to planning. And they were discussed at the uh, November 17th initiation hearing. And really, the, the, the why, why they have appeared in the plan more recently is that we have been working very carefully to construct language that we thought was implementable and could be acceptable to local policymakers and communities and to state regulators. And so that is why we've more recently put those, the, the language that we have arrived at into the plan. And we've continued to work with HCD to refine that language. I want to note on the proposed revisions um, that we are offering in the memo in response to HCD feedback and community feedback that our environmental planning division has reviewed those revisions. And um, they've concluded that the memo posted on the housing element uh, website um, they've included, excuse me, they've included a memo posted on the Housing Element EIR website saying, concluding that the changes would not result in any physical environmental effects beyond those disclosed in the EIR uh, that was certified by the Commission on November 17th. And so no further environmental review is needed in relation to the revisions included in the memo. So. Finally, what are the actions before the commission today? There are three main sets of actions. Uh, first is adoption of findings. These include CEQA findings, including a statement of overriding considerations, adoption of the mitigation, monitoring, and reporting program, the MMRP, 
and findings of consistency with the general plan and priority policies. The next action would be to approve the resolution recommending that the board adopt the new housing element and related amendments to the general plan. And the third is initiating further amendments to the general plan. This is in case HCD requests additional edits after today's approval. So just to explain each of these slightly more, um, in terms of the CEQA findings uh, regarding significant and unavoidable impacts, um, they, and then the evaluation of mitigation measures and alternatives and a statement of overriding considerations, um, also includes uh, um, an adoption of the mitigating monitoring and reporting program, again, the MMRP, and adopting findings of consistency with the general plan and priority policies of the planning code in connection with adoption of the housing element 2022 update. And conforming amendments to the air quality, commerce and industry, environmental protection, and urban design elements. Again, the principal action here today is adopting a resolution approving the ordinance to adopt the housing element 2022 as, a pro, as proposed, inclusive of the proposed revisions and edits presented in the memo today. These edits include the direction provided from HCD in their letter of yesterday, December 14th. We also want to note that the ordinance has been amended to include findings that the Planning Commission has made that the housing element is substantially compliant with state law. Finally, uh, the, the third action would initiate further general plan amendments in the case that HCD requires some additional edits after today that would require further consideration by the Planning Commission. The initiation action would enable us to more expeditiously schedule an approval hearing for any future amendments. We hope this will not be necessary given the edits being made today in response to HCD's feedback, but it is possible and we all want the city to be able to act on those final revisions quickly. Any such hearing would be calendared for on or after January 5th, 2023. So lastly, I just wanted to track the remaining steps, we hope, um, today's adoption hearing, uh, which would then move to introduction at the Board of Supervisors and then a hearing at the Land Use and Transportation Committee, the first hearing at the Board of Supervisors, a second hearing at the Board of Supervisors, and then mayoral signature and approval on the adopted plan, and finally, state certification. So that is what we are working toward. Again, I want to thank the community for all of the feedback on this plan that has made it a better plan. We want to thank HCD for moving rapidly with us to um, provide feedback and make changes to the plan. We want to thank the commission. I want to personally thank this team who's worked so hard to move the plan forward uh, in a very quick amount of time and our colleagues at the planning department and our colleagues at other agencies, particularly the Mayor's Office of Housing, Community Development, and the House, uh, Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. And with that, I will close my presentation. Thank you very much. Commissioners, uh, if there are no immediate questions of staff, we should open up public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on the housing element update. 
Uh, if you're in the chambers, please come forward and line up on the screen side of the room. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three. If you're on WebEx, you need to raise your hand. Forward, sir. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Jake Price on behalf of the Housing Action Coalition. Um, we're very happy to see the progress that's been made throughout this process. Um, very grateful to planning department, um, planning staff, everyone who had a role in this. Um, but while it is a great step, we still remain skeptical of the political realities uh, of this city. Um, and its ability to afford us the chance to make meaningful progress in these goals. Um, so with that being said, I would like to caution that adopting this draft is not the end of this process, and we still need to make good on these commitments because the state is not just going to bury their heads in the sand if we do not. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Gilbert Williams. I'm with Poder and a member of the Race and Equity in All Planning Coalition. First of all, Rep, the Rep Coalition appreciates the hard work of the planning staff to incorporate many of Rep's recommendations into the Housing Elements final draft of the implementing programs. Rep supports the recent resolution adopted by the Housing Stability Fund Oversight Board that request that an action be added to the housing element that identifies the revenue of Proposition I, presently estimated to generate $170 million in fiscal year 2023-24, as an ongoing annual revenue source available to the city to assist in achieving the housing element's affordable housing goals. But we do reject actions 8.1.5 through 8.1.8 .8 of the latest version of the housing element. What community act advocates are calling, not the circuit breaker, but the developer dirty bomb, will nullify every attempt at equity the house, in the housing element. Without any community input, large swaths of the city will be upzoned and primed to be destroyed and rebuilt with luxury housing, while current residents and businesses and communities of color and cultural districts will be pushed out by developers eager to profit from development incentives provided by the city. Despite the revisions that planning has proposed, this housing element has the potential to cause massive displacement. Our low-income communities of color have already suffered extraordinary displacement during the current housing element cycle. And this new housing element promises to make displacement even worse. The impacts and harms of the strategies proposed by, the, by planning appear to be potentially even more devastating and widespread to low-income communities of color than redevelopment was. Rep and the Anti-Displacement Coalition recommit, recommend a public hearing process for every development that proposes to demolish existing residential units. In reference to Section 3, preventing and eliminating homelessness, Rep. SF finds that there are too many actions focused on pro providing temporary shelter accommodations 
It is crucial that planning recognizes that the fact expanding shelter accommodations is not a housing solution. San Francisco's housing element must focus on funding land use solutions and providing stable, dignified, affordable housing for all. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Don Misumi. I'm a lifelong resident of San Francisco, and I'm here representing Richmond District Rising, a member organization of the Race and Equity in All Planning Coalition. While we have appreciated the efforts of the planning staff to work with REP to incorporate many of our recommendations, we were quite appalled at the last-minute additions by developer interests that undo this and run completely counter to what our coalition of over 40 community organizations have been struggling to achieve. We demand the removal of the last of the four provisions added to implementation actions 815 through 818 of the housing element. My family and my community are all too familiar with the displacement and suffering caused by the first iteration of urban renewal in the 60s and 70s. With this developer dirty bomb, the housing element will be gutted of any attempt at equity and will result in a second redevelopment that will once again devastate our communities of color and cultural districts. I have lived all, through all that once, and I don't want to live through it again. I will not address the specific ways that these developer-driven last-minute machinations undermine any effort at developing affordable housing, but it is my hope that this public testimony will at least expose this blatant attempt by developer interests to manipulate this process to serve their own profit-driven interests. The lofty language about racial and social equity without any means of achieving it turns this whole process into a sham intended to deceive. Commissioners, if you do indeed consider yourselves stewards of the public interest, then you have no choice but to remove these provisions. Failure to do so will essentially sell out our communities to the highest bidder. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, Commissioners. My name is Priya Prabhakar, and I'm with the uh, People Power Media, a member of the Race and Equity in All Planning Coalition. Um, as others have said, we appreciate that you've incorporated a lot of our recommendations, but it doesn't go far enough. I've worked as a tenant and housing organizer for the past two and a half years, mainly in the Mission District, and I've seen firsthand how undocumented immigrant families are deeply vulnerable, and the current housing element cycle has caused extraordinary displacement to low-income communities of color, and this new housing element will only exacerbate that. Um, in fact, given what's in the housing element, as uh, people before me have uh, mentioned, the impact and harms are, uh, uh, that proposed by planning will cause even more devastating and widespread harm than redevelopment. REP and the Anti-Displacement Coalition recommend a public hearing process for every development that proposes to demolish existing residential units. A lot of the time, buildings might not look rent control, but they are, and this housing element seeks to tear down that essential housing. Even if a, a property appears to be vacant, we have found that developers and landlords intending to redevelop their properties hide the fact that there are tenants living there, and they have intimidated those tenants to leave. 
If you hand over developers a loophole of opting out of public process and continuing to terrorize tenants to leave, this will cause extremely violent displacement, which it already has. Um, and it will violate uh, a sanctuary city policies that San Francisco seems to be so proud and vocal about. The only way tenant advocates have been able to bring these issues to light has been to force a hearing at the Planning Commission. We need a predictable process and we don't want to uh, force discretionary review and we must bring the housing element back in line with the requirements to affirmatively furthering fair housing. Um, it's been extremely disappointing that the Commission has not done all that they can to actually listen to the communities that have been begging to be heard. In fact, REP has been showing up to planning hearings for the past two years. We've had hundreds of hours of meeting to build strong coalitions and truly cultivate policies that center low-income and communities of color. We have begged the Commission to incorporate these policies in a myriad of ways, and then we hear that the YIMBYs and developer lobby has bullied you into including four completely new implementation actions written um, in that will completely undermine everything that communities of color, low-income communities, cultural districts, disabled and unhoused communities, and advocates have been fighting for. That is uh, deeply disrespectful, and we demand their removal. You can't claim to prioritize a racial and social equity framework and simply not listen to years of generational trauma that redevelopment has caused with the same, if not worse, policies. Um, that, that is, by definition, hypocrisy. And you know, let it be known that this is a housing element that exploits the very basic necessity to live in safe, affordable housing and gives an inordinate amount of power to developers. You're putting profit over people. And while our communities fight tooth and nail for a truly equitable citywide people's plan to help you do the job that you owe San Franciscans, you will have to live with the fact that the housing element will be a long-lasting stain on your legacy. And Thank even you, though we've been deeply time. undermined, this, our fight is not over. Thank you. Okay, um, while I appreciate the language about equity, um, you know, which is something that has been missing from the conversation for a long time, um, you know, I come out of this process, of uh, this two-year process, really not feeling good. Um, you know, writing and saying that the housing element will be centered on racial and social equity, to me, is like Republicans saying their thoughts and prayers are with gun violence victims. You may think that this is a harsh comparison, but displacement is violent, gentrification is violent, redevelopment is violent. And make no mistake about it, this housing element is a roadmap for redevelopment 2.0. Buried somewhere in your packet is a letter from HCD that says more than 50% of the sites identified for low, lower income house, uh, lower incomers are already occupied, AKA non-vacant. When was that gem going to be shared with the public? From the beginning, the housing element process was disrespectful to the very communities it intended to center. One working group session asked, if we were to focus anti-displacement on certain high-risk communities, which ones? How do we find the target? This basically pits communities against each other for clamoring for breadcrumbs. All of the language about streamlining the housing element is about taking out public input because you don't want to hear because you don't want to hear from rich NIMBYs. So now you're bowing to rich YIMBYs. 
Instead of finding ways for low-income communities of color and cultural districts to lead on the decisions, you're gonna take a sledgehammer to the approval process, process, making it so that no one can comment. We heard that last week's hearing, the city has been working on the rezoning plan for months, is ready to go with that. Rezoning will prime large areas of the city to be destroyed and rebuilt with luxury housing, especially in, in low-income communities of color. Meanwhile, even though 57% of this new housing is supposed to be affordable, where's the plan ready to go to make this happen? The mayor budget instructions for the next fiscal year will, will come out very soon. And is the affordable housing plan ready to go so we don't spend the next year already behind? I doubt we get to the finish line. Whose changes get put into the red line version? The developer lobby represented by groups like SFEMB, Hack, and Spur. They drop in the developer dirty bomb that will effectively nullify all the positive language we've worked for. Whatever changes were made last night doesn't erase the fact that this was allowed in the first place, and it took community advocacy for people to even be aware of these last minute changes. Actions speak louder than words. That said, commissioners, your words have power. You have power. You have the power of unlimited public comment, so use that and listen to the community today. Thank you. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Jantel Labyrintho with the Rep Coalition. As others have said, the Rep Coalition has been following this housing element process for over two years. We've painstakingly reviewed every draft, every update, even when it's released really late at night, such as last night spent time providing recommendations, and over these past two years, we've, we've offered to collaborate constructively with planning staff to make this housing element truly and meaningfully centered on racial and social equity. Many of the positive revisions mentioned earlier are still compromised by many of the new actions in Action 8, which are in direct conflict with the stated equity goals of this housing element, and put our city at risk of not meeting the obligations of affirmatively furthering fair housing. We understand the need to, and, and the logic, right, to remove constraints to achieve our arena goals, especially our affordable housing targets, but not at the expense of low-income communities, communities of color, and cultural districts. If we are to meaningfully, truly center racial and social equity in our city's housing blueprint, we should be especially critical of any measures that could further displace and destabilize already struggling communities and instead find ways to strengthen their voice and self-determination through significant increases in investments for affordable housing, retaining existing affordable housing funding mechanisms, retaining community input in decisions that impact their neighborhoods, protecting tenants from displacement as a result of demolitions, and ensuring that any concept of a circuit breaker focuses on affordable housing production and prioritizing equity outcomes. Low-income low communities of color must continue to have a voice in the, the decisions that directly target their homes and families, as civic participation is fundamental to our democracy and community self-determination. As such, REP is demanding that all last-minute provisions designed to silence community voices be removed. We request that this commission make these extremely important revisions to make sure that the city is in compliance with its legal obligations to affirmatively further fair housing and its stated objectives to center this housing element on racial and social equity. Thanks. I want to uh, state I'm my sorry, name for the record. Uh, my name is Diane Ruiz with the Rep Coalition. Thank you.
Commissioners, good afternoon. Joseph Smook with the Westside Community Coalition and the Race and Equity in All Planning Coalition. Honestly, I was thinking about not speaking because my people who spoke before me were so eloquent. But I will say just a couple of words just from a personal and uh, perspective in the community. And as a member of the Race and Equity in All Planning Coalition, um, we so sincerely appreciate staff's, uh, planning staff's extremely hard work to incorporate many of REP's recommendations, including the most recent revisions that were published late last night. Unfortunately, as you've heard, um, many troubling aspects remain, which cause us significant concern. Um, after the revisions, even after the revisions and references to affordable housing, Action 8.1.5 still needs to be removed for many of the reasons that you've heard. It is still disempowering to communities. It still biases the entire housing element to market rate on affordable housing. But the most critical issue, um, besides that, I mean, that's a pretty big issue, um, is demolitions. As a former tenant counselor with the Housing Rights Committee, and as someone who has ha um, had to request discretionary review for properties that were proposing to demolish existing housing that planners thought was not rent controlled, then discovered through the discretionary review process that it actually was rent controlled, the proposal that's before you around demolitions needs to be addressed. Because right now it causes a lot of jeopardy for tenant, existing tenants in our city. And then, as was mentioned by previous commenters, we see this language from HCD in their latest letter that just came out yesterday, which references non-vacant sites. Non-vacant generally to us means occupied. As a reminder, I'm quoting from the letter, the housing element relies upon non-vacant sites to accommodate more than 50% of the regional housing needs allocation for lower income households. As part of adoption, the resolution must contain findings based on substantial evidence that the existing uses will likely be discontinued during the planning period. That means evicting businesses, small businesses, evicting tenants for other uses. It's stunning to us that this language is here and it says as a reminder, and this is language that's never really been disclosed to the public. So in summary, um, yeah, there are significant concerns that are before you um, and we hope you address them. Thank you so much. Hello, uh, my name is Matthew. I got a phone call last night from a, uh, a polling agency, I guess. Um, they were asking me a bunch of questions about a two-hour conversation I had with this individual on the phone. Um, and it was about questions pertaining to just various um, aesthetics of dealing with the city and the ordinances that are being placed right here, I guess, today. Um, in, in a brief moment, this conversation was, the CPC was mentioned, and so I, I Googled it and I just decided to show up today. Um, in the conversation, I guess, what the people are addressing here, I, uh, I noticed that the, um, my biggest concern personally was just assessing the people's capacity to afford um, dealing with structural integrity of their buildings and their commitment to the people that are living inside. And so um, making that decision in order to financially avoid something um, as opposed to have the uh, capacity to be honest in a situation to basically deal with those developments um, 
I think it's a huge disparity, and I think it's something to look into. Um, I'm not sure what the scoop relation here is. I don't understand anything statistically. I actually have no idea what I'm talking about. But I know in the past that I've made mistakes. Um, I would rather be honest and have means to assess my situation than just to lie about it and hide it away in the dark and then have consequences arise out of that. Um, and so that is just my opinion, and uh, thank you. How much time do I have, please? Thank you. I really liked uh, Mr. Smook's letter because he compared his background with the staff's background. And I have always been impressed because I know the staff is highly educated, you know, all have master's degrees, and I think that's really important and says a lot, especially if someone only has a bachelor's degree. That being said, beyond uh, the issue of the demo calcs, I looked at the three at three maps uh, in the uh, housing element draft, the well-resourced areas, the ownership rate by census track, and the share of seniors by census track. And they're basically congruent, you know, they fit right over one another. So due to demographic shifts, so to speak, you know, transformations and turnovers, in other words, people dying, uh, there's going to be a large chunk of land where the housing element proposes policies of densification, they'll become available. So, you know, there's two ways to look at it. Either that's going to be a really good thing from HCD's perspective and other people's perspective, or it's going to be a real problem. Um, and I'll show you the maps real quick. Overhead, please. So there's the well-resourced well area, and there's the... Uh, Oh, no, I got mixed up. Here's the uh, ownership housing tenure by track ownership. And then there's the, the age thing, the over 65. Um, the other thing I want to say is uh, regarding uh, action 9.28 to preserve trees and natural open space and reduce paved services, surfaces and underground Enclosed space in rear yards and side yards specifically retain deep soil for trees and more sustainable vegetation. That's a good thing, especially since currently the private open space contains the majority of tree canopy in the city. And it's important for our climate to minimize cementing over such as this example here, which I'll show you overhead again, please. So that's what they did there. And then here's a close-up of it. You can see it's all cemented over. It's a huge excavation. The amount of soil is unbelievable. It's absolutely crazy to do. And I think it's important to preserve the mid-block open space, whether it's for climate or to grow food in the next 20 years. We don't know where we're going to be. Here's a nice picture overhead again, please, of typical yard in the Richmond district. That was an ad from the Richmond Review. Thank you very much, and congratulations to the staff. They deserve congratulations no matter what happens. Thank you. Okay, if there are no additional members of the public in the chambers wishing to address the commission on the housing element, we'll go to our remote callers. Again, you need to press star three or raise your hand via WebEx, and when you hear that your line has been unmuted, that is your indication to begin speaking. Mr. Wu. Mr. Wu. All right, we'll go to the next caller. 
Good afternoon, Commissioners. Zach Weisenberger with Young Community Developers, uh, member of the Race and Equity and All Planning Coalition. Um, the REC Coalition appreciates the hard work of planning staff to collaborate with us and incorporate many of REP's recommendations into the Housing Elements Final Draft. REP supports the December 5th letter from Supervisor Marr requesting that planning commit to an adequate and concrete plan for identifying and allocating sufficient revenues, acquiring sites and building capacity. As Supervisor Marr states, the ability to meaningfully achieve the affordable housing production goals will require significant initial programmatic investment and an accelerated time uh, to ensure success. This effort must also commit planning and MoCD to working in close collaboration with each other with our affordable housing developers and advocates so we can achieve these goals by working closely together, being bold and innovative. Um, well, community advocates are calling the developer dirty bomb, which is the implementation actions 8.1.5 through 8.1.8, will nullify every attempt at equity in the housing element. Without any community input, large swaths of the city will be upzoned, destroyed, and rebuilt with luxury housing, while current residents and businesses and communities of color and cultural districts will be displaced by developers eager to profit from development incentives provided by the city. With a Hail Mary uh, lobbying push, developers and investors have stripped away measures for affordable housing and social and racial equity and replace them with policies that prime our city for urban renewal style demolition and displacement. That's what additional constraints reductions and additional rezoning outside of priority equity geographies mean. The language is too broad and ambiguous and there will be no checks on what gets torn down and developed. The loss of African Americans from the Bayview, Latinos from the Mission and Filipinos from Soma among other neighborhoods is a longstanding fair housing issue in San Francisco that will be made so much worse and brought to critical levels if cultural stabilization constraints are removed from these and other low-income areas and communities of color. The impacts will be especially dire if there isn't a significant increase in investment for permanent affordable housing. Rep requests that the Planning Commission make these extremely important revisions to the Housing Elements Implementation Action to make sure that the city is in compliance with its legal obligations to affirmatively further fair housing and its stated, ob stated objectives to center this housing element on racial and social equity. Thank you. Good afternoon, Commissioners. My name is Kenneth Russell. I live in District 7 on the west side. I want to start by thanking the city staff who worked very hard on this housing element. The housing element has a lot of great programs, and we need to honor the work that has been done here by ensuring that we work equally hard on the implementation of the housing element. Uh, as part of that, I want to see San Francisco cooperate fully with HCD's policy and practice review. Further, we should follow HE's instructions and pursue the housing element's most aggressive rezoning scenario. We need to allow housing to be built to give more people a place to live in our city. We need to end the regional displacement that is occurring by our lack of housing. When Seattle is able to build over 9,000 homes a year, there's no good reason we can't be matching that. Indeed, our arena goals mean we must build over 10,000 homes a year. We need to ensure we keep focus on this. Thank you. Hi, my name is Celine Damergy. Um, I want to thank staff for the, the work they put in, not just this week, but over the course of a year plus. Um, and they put together a really good plan. This is one of the most ambitious things the city has ever proposed doing on land use when it comes to racial equity. For the longest time, the city has not let affordable housing get built at scale in the richest neighborhoods in San Francisco. And this is the first proposal that is close to enactment uh, that actually will ensure 
working class families can, can live in, in the richest neighborhoods in San Francisco and benefit from all of the benefits that come with that. Um, I think there's a lot more to do. Um, unfortunately, there's, because San Francisco is so far behind the ball when it comes to complying with state law, uh, when it comes to um, the number of hurdles that every project, affordable or uh, subsidized housing or unsubsidized housing, has to go through, there is a lot more to do. Um, and so I support mid-cycle adjustments to make sure that we're on track. That sounds like common sense to me. And without a doubt, we can't ignore guidance from HCD and lose affordable housing funding. I would hope everyone in the room agrees that the last thing you want to do is ignore HCD's explicit guidance on programs that have been added uh, and risk losing funding for affordable housing. So I want to thank staff for all the work they've done uh, and there's a lot more work to do. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, my name is John Buderman. I am a resident of District 2 and a member of Northern Neighbors. Actually, as uh, Kenneth, who just spoke, mentioned, uh, Seattle is a good point. I just came back from a trip to Seattle, and I was impressed by the vibrant progressive culture with lots of musicians and artists there. I saw lots of new multifamily buildings as well, and Kenneth mentioned earlier, Seattle has already built 9,000 students a year. And I think it's no coincidence that there has been less displacement and with that, more culture there than in San Francisco, which has not been hot building housing and has seen prices and rent skyrocket. And really, anyone who does not earn a high salary or has family wealth being priced out. The housing element is unquestionably a step in the right direction to enable growth without displacement. And I am so grateful for the city staffers who worked so tirelessly on this. However, SF track record on building housing makes me skeptical, and it seems HPD is skeptical as well. Thus, we need to pursue the most aggressive rezoning just as HCD requested to ensure we actually build over 10,000 homes a year that the city needs. And the city needs to implement pro programs from the housing elements, such as constraint removal, immediately to start solving our housing crisis. This will prevent displacement and allow us to rebuild a vibrant community, not just in San Francisco, but really throughout the Bay Area. Thank you. Good morning, uh, Planning Commissioners. This is Jessica Pola. I wanted to say that this arena, like housing plan, is like the beginning because now the real hard work rezoning to allow, because we got to build like 10,000 homes a year. Like this is the beginning. And we have a lot of more work to do. Um, and this is just the fourth step. Thank you very much. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners and staff. My name is Reina Tello with Poder and Rendezvous. While we appreciate planning staff's investment on this housing element cycle, I can't help but feel a profound sadness, and I mean that genuinely. After hearing all the public comment time after time express the very real struggle that the remaining working class faces to stay in San Francisco, it boggles my mind why it's so hard for these plans to really prioritize um, those communities that are so affected. But I guess what I realized today is how can you understand? How many of the staff can afford to live in San Francisco? How many of you on the commission were here to see the waves of gentrification starting, uh, let's say, 10 years ago? 
How many of you have seen the struggle? You know, um, I hear this constant need for construction and for uh, units to come online, but we have 58,000 empty units on the market right now, and most of them are market rate, if not all. So what we actually need is affordable housing, and we've said this time and time again. This developer dirty bomb is just another wave of gentrification with a seal of approval from the planning department. If you don't remove these, I don't know if I'll be able to be here for the next cycle. And I love my city. I was born and raised here. I have my family here. And that profound sadness has taken over everything else that I've wanted to say. Because no matter how many times we tell you, this is what we need from you, firm protection, the, the state HCD in a conversation with them, they talk about this balance, but this balance has been pointed in the direction of market rate housing for so long. When is it gonna pivot to affordable housing so that I can stay here, so that I can continue to serve my community? So that in a time of crisis like COVID, you know, it was the mutual aid that was started by organizations without funding that really sustained us until we were able to get funding from federal or from state or from the city. So I just want a chance to live here, to see my family grow here. Please remove this developer dirty bomb, actions 8.1.5 through 8.1.8. Thank you. Hi, this is Adam. Um, I live in District 6, and you know we've obviously seen the brunt of construction over the years, but we've also seen the gentrification happen and the costs go up because we have had such a restrictive process. We've got these amazing multi-million dollar homes on the west side over in districts four, one, two, seven, and that want to preserve the suburban feel in San Francisco at the cost of others. We've all seen you know, friends, family, have to be forced out of the city. Um, I've seen parents with kids have to move because their kids have no place in the city. The status quo is not working. Um, we know it's not working. It's not working for anyone unless you are rich. As far as the points 815, 818, those are the circuit breaker required by HCD. The only reason anyone would think those are a problem is if they think the, the um, plan is not going to deliver the units we need. If we have a shitty plan, then yes, the circuit breaker will kick in. And if we're encouraging a shitty plan to preserve the status quo and ensure that homeowners keep their property values up, that homeowners keep their views, and that um, we're just gonna be in the same place. We're not gonna have homes for people who need them. We're not gonna have homes for kids. We're not gonna have homes for friends. And we're all going to end up moving out of this city unless we unless we win the lottery. Please um, push this forward. Please take all the advice from HCD under account and don't risk losing affordable housing funding and don't risk this um, failing. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Robert Huffman. I am a volunteer lead for San Francisco and uh, focusing on my gratitude to the staffers who have worked tirelessly and practically endlessly to work on the housing element and to respond to feedback from 
a variety of stakeholders. I participated in some of the first housing policy group meetings back in 2020, and the department was doing a lot of work even back then. Um, I think my main takeaway from this whole process is, is, is that if you read the letters from HCD um, over the past year or so, the, the state does not trust the city. Like, San Francisco's had to promise a lot of changes because the city's permanent practices and its violations of state law have been so egregious that there's, there's really not a lot of trust at this point. And my hope is that San Francisco will, or at least the city, will appreciate the importance of what it means to comply with state law, you know, going forward. Um, the latest draft does have a lot of great problems. Um, but, you know, like, like, like others have said, the real work is in, is in the implementation. Like, the promises in the housing element are just that, promises, without real work that the city will do. And, I'm, and I, it is my sincere hope that the city honors the spirit and letter of its commitments. Um, the city really needs to cooperate fully with the policy and practice review that ACD is doing. You know, we are, our arena goals, like building 10,000 units a year in total is not an impossibility, but it is a self-defeating prophecy if we think that we cannot do it. That guarantees that we will not be able to do it. It is, it, we have created a hell of our own making and we can still Make, it in, make San Francisco into a place that is equitable for everyone, a place that is vibrant for everyone. And so I ask you to commit to that goal today and to really think about our, our role in the region. Thank you. Hello, Commissioners. David Wu with Soma Filipinas. Um, while there have been positive pieces added to the housing element that strengthen commitments to affordable housing, these pieces and the work to ensure racial and social equity in the housing element are undermined by um, Section 8, which includes the market rate circuit breaker. This last-minute push by the EMPs and the caving of the planning department to these demands completely undermines the trust of working-class communities and communities of color. While communities on the ground have been advocating, providing feedback, and organizing to give input on the housing element for years, working hard to make small gains with the planning department, these last-minute changes undermine all of this work. This shows how this process is catered towards real estate and development interests. In order to be in line with requirements to affirmatively further fair housing, the housing element must remove any market rate circuit breaker rezonings, market rate housing streamlining, or constraint removal, such as those described in Section 8.1.5. We must put affordable housing first and cannot take steps backwards by eroding actual racial and social equity in the housing element. Thank you. Good afternoon, Commissioners. This is Anastasia Yovanopoulos with the San Francisco Tenants Union and Race and Equity in All Planning Coalition. Well, planning had a huge job to reconcile the, the equity needs with the developer of market rate housing needs, and they failed. 
by putting in these last-minute changes, which Mr. Pappas said were not last-minute. They were just getting the language straight before dropping them in. So it's, we're going to lose our voice. We're going to not have any representation if this goes through. Commissioners, I urge you to ask for removal of these things so that we can maintain equity in San Francisco, just like you put through a resolution a couple of years back. Also, funding should be started at the very beginning, at the inception for affordable housing. None of this push it off till March when the next cycle begins for the following year. We want it this year for affordable housing now. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Charlie Shamas. I'm with the Council of Community Housing Organizations. This housing element has demonstrated an unprecedented level of collaboration and inclusion of equity perspectives. And for this, we'd like to appreciate the hard work of planning staff to make this possible. And yet, despite all this effort, we're concerned that right out of the gate, this housing element isn't setting up the city for success to meaningfully achieve the affordable housing goals that are mandated by our state and adopted by our city. Because our affordable housing program is set up to depend on market-based strategies, it is incredibly vulnerable to the inevitable boom and bust cycle of our market economy. We do not see a real plan in place to achieve the 46,000 units of below market rate housing, especially the deeply affordable housing that inclusionary units are not able to deliver. Already we see development slowing down due to the high cost of land, the high cost of financing, and the high cost of material inputs. Therefore, we need to rethink the path forward. We urge the Planning Commission and our city to pivot towards a system of social and affordable housing that stands on its own two feet, that demonstrates our city's commitment to set aside land, dedicate public investments, and partner with local communities to scale up affordable housing strategies. The mayor will be submitting a citywide budget proposal in February. Will this budget signal the milestone moment that we're in? Will it demonstrate that right out of the gate, the city will commit the significant public investments to ensure we are on track year to year to implement a bold affordable housing development pipeline? Instead, we see circuit breaker policies such as 8.1.5 to 8.1.8 that open the floodgates for high-end development without a commensurate commitment to affordability. In this rapidly thank you, closing window that is your housing time. element final adoption, thank you. Good afternoon, Commissioners. My name is Eric Arguello, and I am with Farrington Cuatro Latino Culture District and a member of the Race and Equity and All Planning Coalition. The REP Coalition appreciates the hard work of planning staff to incorporate many of the REP's recommendations to the housing element final draft of the implementing programs. The loss of African Americans from the Bayview, Latinos from the Mission, and Filipinos from Soma, among other neighborhoods, is a longstanding fair housing issue in San Francisco that will be made so much worse and brought to critical levels if cultural civilization constraints are removed from these and other low-income areas and communities of color. The impacts will be especially dire if there isn't a significant increase in investments for permanent affordable housing. Communities of color must decide on leading what is best for them, their culture, and future. We have the lived experience. Having others speak for us will harm us even further and continue to harm to the path of redlining and redevelopment with a modern twist under the guise of housing for everyone. Rep requests that the Planning Commission make uh, these extremely important revisions to the Housing Elements Implementation Actions 
to make sure the city is in compliance with its legal obligations to affirmatively further fair housing and its stated objectives to center this housing element on racial and social equity. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Okay, last call for public comment. Again, if you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three or raise your hand via WebEx. Good afternoon, President Tanner and Commissioners. Peter Papadopoulos with the Mission Economic Development Agency and a member of the Race and Equity in All Planning Coalition. I want to start by thanking the planning team for their hard work during this long journey of documents through its many phases and for working with HCD to ensure that this document has really started to grow recently in terms of prioritizing communities of color in accordance with AFFH law and that this status will be closely maintained. I want to start by recognizing first some significant improvements in the areas of racial equity and fair housing, and then mention a few significant concerns we still have. So recently we have seen a number of great improvements, which uh, I do want to note, including maintaining existing affordable housing fees until there can be further study, increasing commitment, uh, commitments to affordable housing and preservation, including an affordable housing circuit breaker provision, the addition of elements of equity lenses centered in collaboration with BIPOC communities, such as in the potential removal of CUs and cultural districts and the potential for removal of the central freeway, the expansion of AFFH provisions, including building placekeeping and anti-displacement into the market rate housing circuit breaker and into our monitoring program, and finally, the recognition that areas vulnerable to displacement need to have special cultural placekeeping provisions along with priority equity geographies. That said, two significant areas that we want to mention here are, as noted earlier in the December 14th letter, we would love some clarification about how non-vacant sites applying to 50% or more of our affordable RENA requirements will work. And most notably, the concern, as mentioned by others, 8.1.5, the removal of additional constraints for housing projects does not appear to have the same AFF lenses and equity provisions as the rest of the document. And we'd like to hear some clarification around whether those lenses apply here. We thank you for your attention to these uh, equity and fair housing issues and look forward to collaborating further as we go into the critical implementation and monitoring phases. Thank you. Hello, my name is John Schwark and I live in Central Market. Uh, in February, the state rejected Santa Monica's housing element. When the city fell out of compliance with state housing law, this triggered what is known as the builder remedy. Santa Monica has 91,000 residents, and because of the loss of local control caused by the builder remedy taking effect, developers proposed 16 projects totaling over 4,500 new units with more than 800 of these being designated as affordable for low-income housing low-income households. If San Francisco is judged to be out of compliance and housing builders propose projects at the same rate, San Francisco will have about 45,000 units of housing proposed, including 8,000 units of affordable housing in one year. This is much higher than our current rate. I encourage you to remove the recently introduced circuit breaker language 
so that HCD can more easily judge San Francisco non-compliant with state housing law. I believe this is the best path forward to create the housing needed for the future of San Francisco. And I thank the Planning Department staff, the Planning Commission, and the members of the REAP Coalition for making this drastic increase in housing construction possible in the future. Thank you. Okay, final last call for public comment. Seeing no additional requests to speak, commissioners, public comment is closed and the housing element update is now before you. Thank you. I want to thank everyone who has come in uh, or called in, whether it's today, in the past, or participated in a focus group or a survey or the number of activities that we saw across the city to give input into the housing element. Of course, staff who have worked tirelessly um, on this project and also to HCD staff who I understand have been giving us very consistent feedback despite themselves sometimes going through illnesses or other challenges and particularly want to call out Ms. Sohab Mahmood and Paul McDougall have really been um, key and so thank them for their work and helping us get to this point, our last hearing. You know, unless we have the hearing in January 5th or later, uh, if further changes are requested. So our last hearing is a commission on this housing element, which will be with us for eight years, which is pretty significant and substantial. So I want to start off myself with a few just opening comments, and then I have a couple questions that I'll be asking staff, as well as proposing some adjustments to some of the language that's before us, primarily some tweaks to the staff memo and the language that's there um, to hopefully if the commission agrees to get the language a little bit tighter in terms of making sure we really, really respond to HCD in a way that they hopefully cannot question and um, maintains our compliance for the housing element. So I want to pick up on um, something that staff used in their presentation just around the tension that is present in this housing element, and it's, it's significant. Um, holding in tension the goals that we want to pursue equity, that we want to um, you know, raise money and capacity to build 46,000 below market rate housing units at a variety of income levels, but all below market through this housing element. We want to lift up and give power to our cultural districts. We want to focus on developing housing in areas with high resources so that folks who are living in neighborhoods that are well-resourced, and at the same time, there are inherent challenges that can come into play trying to pursue all these goals at once um, and trying to, again, be in an area, in a, in, a, in a place where housing is not a right. We want that to be the case. We want everyone to have a right to housing, and yet housing is a commodity in our economy, and that's how it's treated. Uh, although many of us, I think, don't think of our homes as a commodity when we're living in them and enjoying them and, and thinking about the stability they bring us and the foundation really for our lives and our health and really the foundation for our community. I want to respond to some of the comments that were made because while there is tension, I think there's a way to live in that tension. Streamlining does not mean that there's no community voice or the democracy is thrown out the window. There are still procedures, there's still process, there's still ways for notifications to happen, for actions to be taken. Moving efficiently doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities, again, to engage, to give input into long-range plans. How do you want to shape neighborhoods? How do we want our city to look and function? And building market rate housing, which many people live in, I think at last count, 9% of the city's housing was affordable. So most people who live in San Francisco live in market rate housing. It's just the fact of where we are. And if we want to get to a place where we have a greater portion out of the market, we still have to start with where we are. And building more market rate housing doesn't eliminate our need or our capacity or our desire to build. Again, half of the housing in this element is supposed to be below market rate. And so that doesn't eliminate that, that, that state mandate to do that and our need and desire and hopefully our can-do spirit to actually pursue that very, very ambitious goal um, 
and really realize it in the next eight years. And then the last thing I want to say before turning to some questions of staff is this is really a start. I think several callers stated that. Um, this is the beginning, and I know in some ways it feels like, oh, it's the end, we're finally here. Um, you know, staff know it, it's the beginning of a very, very long and ambitious list of programs that we're shepherding here at the commission, but also with other agencies and really, again, for the entire city. And so there are, um, in particular, 8.1.5 um, and some of those other uh, provisions have been have been kind of seen as maybe this is taking away our voice, but again, almost all of those uh, are analyses or studies that then require further legislative action. So even if an analysis performed doesn't automatically trigger a certain legislative action, there still again is input, dialogue, discussion, the dem democratic process unfolding. And so simply saying that we're going to perform an analysis and this is the thrust and kind of the general direction of the analysis does not mean that there's an automatic trigger that this um, certain law kicks in at a certain point. Again, this is a general plan element. It does not itself a legislative action in terms of the, the way that, that you know, change in the inclusionary would be a specific discrete legislative action that this housing element doesn't do in and of itself just by virtue of our commission passing it and hopefully the board um, giving it a thumbs up. So with that said, I want to kind of start somewhat in the order of just going through the element um, in kind of, you know, starting at the beginning and going down. I think one thing that would help, Mr. Pappas, if you can explain the non-vacant sites analysis, I think that's where it gets a little bit in the weeds for many of us. My understanding with that is just generally, you know, our city's pretty built out. Many of our sites are non-vacant just in general. And HCD wants to say, okay, if it's not vacant, if there's something operating on it, what gives us the uh, belief that during the cycle, for some reason, the use that's there will cease and that uh, person will decide to have that become housing uh, instead of you know, having that property or maintain the, the use that currently is there. So you talk a little bit about what non-vacant site is and kind sure. of that analysis. Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, James Pappas, planning staff. Um, so, uh, the state uses a very um, tight definition of a vacant or non-vacant site for the purposes of RENA. So even a parking lot, anything that has an improvement on the site is considered a non-vacant site. So clearly in San Francisco, the almost all of the sites that we are considering for the housing element uh, sites inventory were non-vacant. So we were pushed into that um, situation where 50% of the sites that are designated as low income are non-vacant. It is a requirement that's been on the books for a number of years that uh, we must adopt findings that are, are non-vacant sites. We believe are non-vacant sites based off of substantial evidence um, that we are designating as low income will uh, have a likelihood to be redeveloped as um, housing during the planning period. And as we've discussed uh, in prior presentations, we did a number of things to try to assess the sites that were included in, in the site's inventory for likelihood of redevelopment. That includes the model that we created of, based off of past development, as well as assessment of the pipeline, adjustments based off of likelihood of past pipeline, and then uh, research on the development agreements that, you know, those make up the bulk of the sites. So essentially the finding statement is that we believe that the analysis in, in the site's inventory is well substantiated, and um, that, that's what those findings in relation to non-vacant sites refer to. Great, thank you very much for explaining that. Um, and then I wanted to, you can probably stay there because I'll have a few comments <laughs> and invite you to make um, some responses, so uh, apologies in advance for that. Uh, so this was not necessarily in the, um, 
in the memo that you all prepared for us um, yesterday and today, but uh, we've talked a bit about Prop I being incorporated into the implementing actions, and I just kept looking for it, and I couldn't find where Prop I was referenced or property transfer tax. So I just want to make sure we do have a place where we're referencing that the property transfer tax is an example of general fund revenues that could be allocated for affordable housing development, and so perhaps 1.1.2 could be a place to add that reference if the uh, rest of the commission agrees. Is that sound all right, or is maybe you were able to find it in a different location in the implementing actions? Uh, I'm not sure. I know that 1.1.2 was explicitly updated to reference regular general fund allocations, and of course, Prop I is a funding source for the general fund. Um, but I think an explicit reference to uh, including regular general fund allocations, for example, or such as from Prop I could make sense there. Yeah, and partly I want to make sure that when it gets to the Board of Supervisors, I think we've talked about wanting to incorporate that request, and I just want to make sure that it's like really clear that they could see that we're saying such as um, you know the property transfer tax. Um, okay, so that's one suggested change. The other is um, looking at 1.2.6, which is in the memo that, the version that is in the memo that we have uh, in front of us. The last bullet point there, um, it says the city will target 500 to 2,000 units in the arena planning period. And I wanna make sure that, you know, because this is a public lands process and some of our public lands are mixed income housing developments, that that's 500 to 2,000 below market rate units. There may be more units on these sites than that, but of them, we have at least that. And I know HCD asked for a metric, and HCD also, I believe, in their letter said, which is going to take me a minute to find it because I have like 50 things open. Um, they said that they wanted to have a, a, a numerical goal and something else which I can't find. Numerical objectives. Um, and uh, by affordability. So this is on the HCD letter, page three, second paragraph, middle of the paragraph. They say to include the schedule of actions, which this is that schedule of actions, and it says, um, and numerical objectives by affordability. And I see, don't see really by affordability connected to this numerical objective. Okay, I think that you know that's the intent, is certainly that we're maximizing, and that's our local policy is to maximize affordable. Housing on certainly uh, understand. I yeah. want to just make sure it's crystal clear that yes, we read their you. letter and we know that the objective here is 500 to 2,000 affordable units um, in these development because again they could have additional market rate units components um, mm -hmm. as part of them, which is fine. Um, okay, so that's the second suggested change. The other, looking at 1.3.3. So with this one, um, I think that I really, um, you know, one of the things that I share a concern with with many of the correspondence that we received is how we may be indicating that we're putting our inclusionary housing program at risk, which certainly is not a goal that I would share as part of streamlining or reducing constraints. Certainly modifying, adjusting, evaluating our program, but certainly not eliminating it. And I understand and, and welcome the revision here to say assess the inclusionary tiers. I think that's really, really great. But the last sentence, um, I think, is not clearly expressing the specifics of what we would like to do. So it currently reads, changes to inclusionary tiers and requirements must improve or maintain 
the current affordability of inclusionary units and retain or expand the number of units, including with consideration to rents, purchase prices, and HOA fees. And I think some of the language here is just not as precise as we need, particularly the use of the word current. Again, it's a relative term, current to when and what. Affordability of inclusionary units, I think here is actually indicating the cost to build and operate the units instead of the affordability to the household that is occupying that unit. And so I think the, the goal of this is to kind of say, look, we're going to assess what changes we can make, but we want to put some guardrails on also the nature of those changes that could be made if, you know, based on this assessment. So the language that I would propose is as follows. Changes to inclusionary tiers and requirements must improve or maintain the feasibility of constructing and operating inclusionary housing units, period. Changes to inclusionary tiers and requirements must retain or expand the fraction of units, including with consideration to rents, purchase prices, and HOA fees. And I say that in part because our inclusionary isn't a number, it's a portion of a building, not a specific number that you need to build. So I hope this is a little bit clearer in what we're actually talking about so that um, it can be clear what kind of guardrails I see us trying to put on the changes. So I can also email this to you if it's more helpful. Um, but again, I, or I can repeat it if, if that's helpful. I, I think we're recording these changes okay. that are Great. being suggested. Okay, yeah. awesome. And if staff who are recording need help, please let me know and I can repeat it. I know I talk fast sometimes, so I'm trying to not do that <laughs> right now. Commissioner Diamond, you need to turn your mic on. If you want us to adopt those changes now, we actually need to have the exact language in front of us. So somebody needs to be recording well, they, it now. They are. I think back. what they were saying is someone's typing right now. Is yeah. that what's happening? Yeah. Oh, over there. Great. We got our planning colleagues over here in the corner. Helping All right. Us. So they're going to type so that much. up, and I think we're going to somehow see it. President Tanner, would you mind repeating the second yeah. uh, edit to that one? That you're I would do not mind. Um, well, I just need to find my other window. Okay, so the edit is, I'm just gonna read both sentences. There, this is the new version of them. Changes to inclusionary tiers and requirements must improve or maintain feasibility of constructing, I guess it's just say the feasibility. Changes to inclusionary tiers and requirements must improve or maintain the feasibility of constructing and operating inclusionary housing units. Changes to inclusionary tiers and requirements must retain or expand the fraction of units required, it probably should say, including with consideration to rents, purchase prices, and HOA fees. That's what happens when you're editing <laughs> overnight. Um, so that's a, a recommended change. Um, I'm just going to go through a few more, and then I, I, I will turn it over. I see Commissioner Imperial's hand. The other language uh, is 7.1.1, which again was not in the letter. So it's, it's in the implementing actions, but it was not in the staff letter. Um, I'm, what I'm concerned he about here is um, HCD has a, a suggestion uh, that we would, this is on their letter, page three. This is sites inventory midterm evaluation. It's under that topic, and it's kind of the middle of that paragraph. Um, and it says, for these reasons, the city should pursue its most aggressive rezoning scenario as part of adoption and implement the midterm evaluation AKA the circuit breaker, in consultation with HCD, including HCD approval. So I did see that we added HCD approval to that in the uh, legislation that refers specifically to the quote circuit breaker. But for the rezoning scenario, I would like to add um, language that does suggest the city would consider and kind of 
not commit us to because we have to go through the process, but we would be considering the most aggressive rezoning. Again, I want to make sure that HCD is seeing the language they're asking for in our housing element. So the suggested add to 7.1.1 7 would be when implementing this action, the city should pursue the most aggressive rezoning scenario possible. So again, when implementing this action, the city should pursue the most aggressive rezoning scenario possible. Do you have any comments or feedback to that? Mr. Switsky, it looks like you want to come forward. Excuse me, Joshua Switsky, planning staff. I just want to clarify when, when this is referring to scenario, the, there are scenarios that are in the documents, but they're hypothetical examples. They weren't meant to be literally be scenarios that we would, we would, we would uh, they're not proposals, you know, ready for adoption. So um, we would seek to, you know, work th with the public and the commission over the next year, year plus to craft some combination of all of these elements that, that more than meets our, our requirements. So it's, it's a little maybe eye of the beholder about what most aggressive scenario possible means. Um, but just, just so you already know that there's already language in 7.1.1 that does say seek to exceed the number, the minimum number that's in there, which is, and so maybe strengthening that sentence. That would be also acceptable. I just want to make sure we're responsible in some yep. way to that idea that, and again, definitely welcome, maybe even not saying scenario, but we're going to pursue the most aggressive rezoning, rezoning path possible. And that right. path is, to your point, yet to be determined because it hasn't actually been, we've put forward some scenarios, but the actual kind of proposal that would be approved hasn't been hammered out. Yep. So maybe it's um, when implementing this action, the city should pursue the most aggressive rezoning or, path. Or a rezoning that, that, that maximizes housing capacity to the that even sounds better. Extent possible. That's like that. great. Yeah, I love that. That's great. Maximizing to the extent possible. Commissioner um, Tanner, do yeah. you want questions from us as you go along? You know what? That'd be great. I think if if it's but try to keep it on this one. That way, it's not like going too far away. But yeah, if there's questions on this one or previous stuff that I've already gone over, maybe we can do that. Do you mind putting your hand on Commissioner Imperial? But I'll come to you first, unless you have a question about. No, no, it's okay. You're just on the, my um my speaker queue, and so I'm going to call on Commissioner Diamond because I think she has a response to this. I am struggling with that one, not conceptually, but only because I don't think we know what it means. The most aggressive possible could be 10 times as much. I mean, we could rezone the entire western side to 100. Can you throw on your mic? We could, it's on. Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. The most aggressive possible could be something that's 20 times greater than what we have at the moment. We haven't done any CEQA review of that. I mean, I, I, I'm very concerned about language that's that ambiguous because I don't think that provides any parameters. And so uh, I, I think we need more definition if you want to change it, um, as opposed to saying the most aggressive possible. And maybe staff could give us some. Yeah. I mean, I think it would have to be under the CEQA analysis that's been performed. I don't, I'm not suggesting that we would perform additional CEQA analysis or have a plan that's outside of the parameters of what we've already studied. I, I also believe that we have yet to hold hearings with the West Side um, on any of that, and that it is, um, we're committed to certain numbers. Um, we've got RENA goals. We're going above and beyond the RENA goals with 115%. Uh, I'm not sure that um, using the language the most aggressive possible um, is, something that's feasible or implementable or sufficiently specific that it gives us and then the Board of Supervisors action and I wonder if it comes in conflict with other policies that are in there and 
maybe it works, but I don't know, without going back and re-examining everything, mm -hmm. I would be reluctant to include that language right now. Well, Thank you. One suggestion could be, you know, we call out in 7.1.1 the 36,000 units, is, which is what kind of we're committed to with HCD plus a 15% buffer. If you want to exceed that amount, which I think the scenarios that, that are contemplated in the EIR do, perhaps, you know, set, a, set an amount that you'd like to exceed that 36,000 by, you know. I'm it's not, 40, I'm, yeah, I'm not even sure that I, 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 I mean, we could say an amount, but I think even that seems more arbitrary. Again, I, I really am just focused on what they said in their letter, and one yeah. of the things I did not see as a change was any change that suggested that we would, we would do what they're saying, which is we should, should pursue its most aggressive rezoning scenario. I, I don't know how they read should, but I, right, right. I read it as pretty, pretty important. Um, so. I'm not, I, I think it's more to me like a, 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 a suggestion that the direction we're going is trying to maximize the amount of rezoning uh, that we've contemplated. And so there's a floor, I guess, the 36. I don't know that I need to set a ceiling or anything because I don't think we would know right. what that is uh, beyond, I guess, what, what we contemplated in our analyses via CEQA. But Maybe I shouldn't be concerned about it, but I'm just concerned that we haven't addressed this sentence. So I don't know, Mr. Switzky or Mr. Pappas, if you feel we've addressed it sufficiently, but I'm concerned. Sorry, I'm just uh, bringing up the language, and we're trying to coordinate on the logistics of how we record uh, the suggested changes. Um, I think our sense yesterday was, um, when we spoke with HCD, that uh, you know, we assured them that we would be exceeding the uh, shortfall. I mean, uh, fundamentally, so it's important to remember that the rezoning on, in 7.1.1 is triggered by the shortfall in capacity for the site's inventory, right? It has a specific number that we're trying to achieve. It's now 36,000, a little over 36,000 units. I think what we assured them is we would certainly exceed that amount, and the uh, analysis that um, Mr. Switzky has done shows that we can do that through the various rezoning scenarios. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to think of you know what would be the appropriate language to um, answer uh, what they're seeing there. They they did not necessarily insist that we needed to use the word you know most aggressive or maximum amount. However, they certainly wanted us to exceed uh, mm -hmm. that minimum. Okay. I, I perhaps maybe there's a question of just if you if staff are comfortable that we have met this kind of sentence that they've they've stated that we are pursuing that and then I just don't want it to get to a point where they say well you didn't actually put that in there so you know you're not compliant and I, I don't know if that's the sense you got or they're kind of just using the sentence as like we really want you to do this and therefore do these other things um, I just don't take anything they've written in here lightly. And right. so Absolutely. we want to make sure. Do, do you know in your conversations with HCD, are they ha do they want more changes in response to that language or are they happy with the language that we have? Our understanding was that we had reached a place that they were comfortable with yesterday yeah. afternoon. I, yeah, and, I, and no disrespect to the two staff who reviewed it, they have bosses which I believe did not review it with you. And so that's just where I get concerned like, it's fine, it's fine until somebody else reads it, and I just, I don't know. So I'll just, I'll stop on that one if there's no um, other support, but I just want to know, I, 
I'm concerned that we haven't responded to that sentence um, that HCD has put in the letter. So um, we can either take it up later or maybe there'll be some more suggestions as we continue our conversation. Um, Could I take a comment? Yes, go ahead, Commissioner Moore. Uh, I would greatly appreciate if we don't fall prey to just adding a word. I'm really interested that our intentions as uh, Mr. Pappas described, are more in line of what the real issues are, rather than becoming verbose with our commitments to obey and do, etc. But uh, I would like to keep our language free of these emotionally charged words like aggressive. That's a good suggestion, certainly. Ms. Tian's online too, and oh. she was at that meeting and kind of has requested by text to raise her hand. Oh yeah, so she may be able to add some to the meeting yesterday as well. Great, thank you, Ms. Tian. Good afternoon, Commissioners, Medium Chun, uh, Planning Department staff. Um, I, I just want to confirm what has been discussed. The HCD uh, was satisfied with the language that you have in your packet. However, if you wanted to add additional language instead of using the most aggressive scenario, we can, um, we can indicate. Um, just give me one second to find the language. Uh, we can indicate that when implementing this action, the city should pursue rezoning that increases housing capacity to the maximum extent possible. And by possible, it will mean possible according to our environmental review, possible according to the community process and the rezoning program that we will be implementing. I would, I would be amenable to that, again, if other commissioners uh, deem it so. And perhaps through this recording process, we can, we'll be taking a look at each of these things. And I see other folks shaking their head, but we can look at it and it can be rejected. Um, I'm going to just move on to the next few points. I think I have just a couple more. 8.1.5. So HCD gives us a choice. This is sticking also with that same next sentence in 8.1.5, their feedback. They say under letter B, we should revise the additional rezoning program beyond 115% of the projected shortfall to two times or affirmatively increase capacity and reduce constraints based on various analyses of constraints. So I think we've chosen the latter part. We have kept our 115, but we are affirmatively increasing capacity and reducing constraints based on the various analyses of constraints. Is that correct? Yes, that is our understanding of the approach. Yeah. Okay, and they were satisfied with... Yes, they seem more. comfortable with it. Great. Um, for 8.1.6, which is in our memo that we have, um, one of the things that I've kind of realized through the conversations I've had with community groups and through the correspondence is part of the concerns that, that are raised and that I also have are kind of really what is a government constraint and a new government constraint. So I really appreciate this sentence about saying a government constraint is a city-imposed requirement that increases the cost of development not in effect on January 3rd, 31st, 2023, and then not including et cetera, et cetera. I think that really goes a long way to defining exactly the universe of what we're talking about. What I would ask in addition is that we, in, in partly because some, some groups and some advocates, I think, see government constraints purely as fees and specific, you know, dollar amounts that development has to pay to be built here, impact fees, whether it's impact fees, inclusionary zoning, or other fees. And I think the way that we see constraints and is evident in our chapter on constraints is that it could be design, so it could be the way we require your building to be configured. 
It could be a procedural constraint. We just read the article in the Chronicle the other day about the time to get a building permit and time to get planning review. Those are procedural constraints, not necessarily, they have a cost impact that can and should be measured in the pro forma analyses in 8.1.8, but it's not just about the actual fees the city costs. And part of the reason I think it's important to perhaps add government constraints may be procedural design or financial is because I don't want 8.1.8 to be just about getting rid of fees. I think it's really about improving the entire development process, whether it's a process constraint, whether it's a, you know how our design guidelines are impacting things, and that that pro forma analysis should be able to take into account at least some of those which have a quantitative impact. If your permit takes 800 days to get versus you know 180, you can measure that in a dollar impact on the development. So um, it's really just a further refinement to the definition of governmental constraint or kind of expanding on kind of the aspects of that. Any commissioners challenged by that? Gonna be procedural design or financial constraints. It could be such as, so it's not limited to just those, but uh, making sure it's not being read just one way. Um, the last one is 8.1.3. 10, um, the second bullet says 50% more affordable housing units and 50% more than when or what. So increase the land banking strategy to accommodate 50% more affordable housing units, 50% more than the land banking strategy currently accommodates today or like what is it more than? Um, I believe it would be because 8.1.10 8 is meant also as the mid-cycle, um, uh, part of that mid-cycle assessment of where we're at and specifically focusing on the resources and approach to providing affordable housing. So I think we'd be looking at what has our production been and then the idea would we would trigger at a minimum a 50% increase. Got it, in affordable housing units based on what's coming out. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I think that, let me just double check so I don't give false hope, but I think those are all the changes that I was wanting to, to look at. Um, and I, the last thing I'll say is I know that um, these changes are coming in some ways late at the same time. They've been advocated for by different groups pretty consistently for the past couple months. And so some of this language specifically may be new, but we did fortunately were able to see some of it last week and of course more revisions uh, this week. And so I do, want to thank the community organizations who are responding very quickly uh, overnight to this legislation or this proposed um, language rather. And um, I do know that it, it is a little bit, can feel like the last minute at the same time. For some, it feels like they've been asking for this for a while and they are finally seeing it um, in print. So with that, I'm going to close my comments. Uh, thank you, Mr. Pappas. Thank you, Ms. Shion, uh, Mr. Switsky. And I'm going to turn it over to Commissioner Imperial. Thank you. Thank you, President Tanner. Um, first of all, I just want to start this off um, on how much of the work that the planning department has done, and also in terms of the the kind of committee engagement, as well as the conversations I've been having for the last couple of years around this. Um, this is not an easy effort. It's really um, um, there's a lot of good things about the housing element. And this is the first housing element that incorporates affordable housing strategies, tenant protections, community planning, environmental justice. Um, there are so many good aspects of the housing element that, um, that as part of the commission, I'm proud of. 
On the other hand, um, of course, there are still, um, in a way, I would say, perhaps out of control that I would like to also address and also have questions, and especially in the rezoning program that will affect or will, um, I feel like, need clarification regarding 8.1.5, um, as this is more of a circuit breaker language as I'm interpreting it. Um, how is this going to, how is HCD, um, because you, you, you know, the department has been having conversation with HCD in terms of this language, adding this on, but at the same time, we are also, as the department planning for rezoning program that will involve community engagement process. And so if there are, so this is my question 8.1.5, is that when, um, if that those amount of units are not met and the city shall enact and implement additional rezoning program, how's that going to be defined? Um, can you tell me if HCD trying to give us a prescription or is up to the city or how is the city going yeah. to respond to a rezoning program if these units are not met? In, in just to be clear, the rezoning, this rezoning program, the potential rezoning program under 8.1.5 mm -hmm. would happen after the rezoning at under 7.1.1, which mm -hmm. we just talked about, mm -hmm. you know, is likely or we're hoping it would be aggressive and exceed the, the 34, the 34,000 unit requirement um, that, that, you know, we call out in 7.1.1. So only after that's in effect could 8.1.5 be effective. And if that rezoning program is effective and it far exceeds the 36,000, there may, there may be no no reason. To, I mean, there's two things that can happen mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. 8.1.5 wouldn't come into effect. One, we're building at a pace that we've kind of committed to in this for the pipeline project. So we get the pipeline uh, mm -hmm. units uh, permitted, the 29,000 pipeline permits. There's no then necessity to look at rezoning or additional constraints reduction. And then if we don't, we would look at the rezoning we already did to see what capacity kind of we built into that. And if, if you're right, if there isn't enough capacity in that, it would be the city that mm -hmm. would undertake uh, the additional potential rezoning under 8.1.5. And HCD's asked mm -hmm. to, to be involved in this and be part of that approval process, which I think we're fine with um, in, in kind of going through through this analysis if we had to. But ultimately, mm -hmm. you and the Board of Supervisors you know, would need to propose or approve a, a rezoning. And in, in ter and my second question, follow-up questions, um, because again, I mean, we're prioritizing the building of affordable housing units first. Um, I just want us to emphasize and be grounded on that. Um, the 29,049 units are not being defined as anything. It's only as units. So um, how... I mean, this is kind of like, you know, the anxiety is that the pipelines that are 29,049 units are more likely going to be market rate sure. units than affordable housing units. Um, and so the, you know, the, so that's also the clarification and also the understanding from HCD that 
it will be those affordable housing units that will yeah. be built. And I think that's recognized in that in that third bullet at the end of that section that when we look at kind of where we're deficient mm -hmm. in housing, we'll look at it by you know income groups in Rena. So if we've overproduced market rate in the 29,000 or the rezoning you know, this would compel us to do more on the affordable side. That we're, and that we're considering the 8.1.10. Is that what 8.1.10 and this third bullet in 8.1.5 shall consider progress and implement strategies toward meeting RENA goals by income group in AFFH objectives, including mm -hmm. strategies under 8.10. So 8.10 would kick in in that case, as would 8.1.5, but more of a focus on affordable housing in those income categories where we're not meeting our arena goals if in fact we are meeting our goals on the market rate side okay so that that was i mean I think a request made by by rep in the community and then also by hcd that we look at that when we're doing this rezoning that we're not blind to mm -hmm. that that you know market rate versus affordable housing that's being being built Okay. And another question, or maybe something to address, um, something I realized that as, you know, as I'm going through um, during the weekend and then, la uh, you know, and then Tuesday and then last night again, um, I realized that the community planning section, which I think probably we have overlooked, um, and I, but I understand too that in terms of the, the community planning, I think the section's um, number I think that's number four. Give me, um, I'm going to look into this. Yeah, 4.2. Section four. 4.2. Um, are there, um, and this is going to perhaps, I think what I'm trying to achieve around this community planning areas is that yes it does which is i applaud again the the, the planning department incorporating in terms of um, developing strategies i think hold on i'm gonna 4.1 point something or 4.2.1 to 4.2.11 but i do not see anything or maybe something that needs to be highlighted to me in terms of community engagement strategies and metrics around around rezoning. Uh, Sorry, do yeah, you want more I, community engagement in maybe in 7.1.1, which is the? It's more in the 4.2 community planning actions. Um, and I maybe I just overlooked it, but if someone can, the staff, um, highlight to me if there are any kind of wordings about committee engagement strategies. I mean, there is that center racial and social equity culture, you know, competency by the planning department staff, um, but nothing uh, that I haven't seen so far in terms of the rezoning, what kind of committee strategy, engagement strategies, yeah. as we are trying to consider that for budgeting next year as mm -hmm. well. Yeah. So, um, um. James Pappas, playing staff. I, there's a couple things. I think there's broadly in um, uh, program 4.2 on community planning, there's a, a broad increase of efforts on inclusive uh, outreach and engagement that would apply to 7.1.1. 
Um, but there, there's also a heavy focus on the priority equity geographies and how we plan working with those communities. And the rezoning is heavily focused on the well-resourced neighborhoods. So it's a kind of, it's a both and. There, there is absolutely, um, from the first action, which focuses on developing and implement community engagement strategies that center racial and social equity, and competencies, so that would apply to how we do the work in 7.1.1, as would the other actions, similar actions throughout that program. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then there are some specific actions within this program that relate to how we specifically do work in communities like our priority equity geographies that are disproportionately communities of color or low income. Okay, so it would, um so there is that um, language. It's on 7.1.1, is that what you're saying? I think they, 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 go, they work together, um, but it certainly, I think it mentions. Oh, okay, I see it's 7.1.2. Yeah. For staff allocation with planning to engage with communities. Um, and okay. Okay, I just want, um, I think what triggers me in thinking about this is around the 8.1.5 in terms of the, um, if those units are not met, um, then, I, I think you know, the what my, um, what I'm trying to clarify from HCD is that if those units are not met and, you know, trying to seek for aggressive rezoning scenario, for us in the planning department, we, that would mean a committee engagement process. So, um, and that is something that, you know, also not in 8.1.5, it only says consider outreach. So, so these are kind of like what is the, what 8.1.5, 8.1.5, how would that relate to other actions that we have in the planning that we have been discussing all along, yeah. so, yeah. I think, we, you know, we would, we would utilize the same mm -hmm. community engagement, mm -hmm. you know, plans that we're, we're doing under four and 7.1.1 for any potential rezoning in 8.1.5. Do you, Again, there's not an automatic trigger of a rezone. Right. It's we've got to look and come up with kind of, in, in just to take a step back, this came from HCD's kind of concern that we were over relying on the pipeline. And so, you know, we, we've talked to them a lot about that. We reduced our reliance on the pipeline and increased our, our, our kind of planned rezoning on 7.1.1, but there's still concern from HCD that we were over relying on the pipeline. And they're skeptical that, you know, some of those pipeline projects will happen. And so they just want to make sure in order to meet our arena goals, if the pipeline projects aren't happening, we would undertake additional rezoning. It, it would be the same concept as the rezoning in 7.1.1 with community engagement focused on well-resourced neighborhoods uh, to, to get to those numbers. And I, um, thank you, Director. But, um, and one last question, sorry, I keep asking, <laughs> but I think this is the most important time to ask. Um, is in, um, in the website, in the planning department website, we have this SF, the site's inventory list. Um, what does that mean, <laughs> the SF site's <laughs> inventory list? Is, uh, are these saying this, I mean, yes, they're community business, residential, are these saying that this up for rezoning or are this up for, you know, what's, yeah, 
Is this the spreadsheet, the form mm -hmm. that yeah. is required by HCD? And there are these addresses, and I'm right. not sure is if it means vacant, not vacant, or, <laughs> yeah, so can you clarify that, yeah? Yes, so there's two required tables. One is for the site's inventory itself, and the second is for the rezoning program. Um, to just to deal with the rezoning program, again, as uh, Mr. Switsky referred to, the rezoning program is illustrative, and so we, we um, included parcels that were uh, part of those, um, the analysis to identify how we could reach the rezoning numbers that we needed to to meet the shortfall, but none of those parcels are specifically going to be rezoned exactly as how they're included in those three scenarios. They, you, w that rezoning will be determined uh, in, in the community process that follows the adoption of the housing element. Mm -hmm. Going back to the site's inventory, mm -hmm. as, as we've mentioned a few times, we used a model to assess, based off of past analysis of past development, to assess likelihood of development in the future. Mm -hmm. And given these very specific requirements that, that are in place, to analyze the likeliness and capacity of development on sites that we include in the site's inventory, which HCD has language saying we would check uh, lease expirations or individual owner's plans to vacate or redevelop a site, things that were not feasible given the, sc the scale of our um, arena. We did this analysis using the regression-based model, and we applied it to any residentially zoned parcel in the city. And so what you get is pretty much every residentially zoned parcel in the city is included in that list. But you'll notice that the number of units counted on most of those parcels is extremely small because there's very little likelihood of any development happening. And that was our way of meeting that requirement to provide a likelihood of development. So that's what you're seeing in that mm -hmm. list. It's almost every residential parcel in the city, and that's why. Okay. Can I add one more thing? Uh, that's showing probability of development, right? So that number is not meant to be looked at the parcel level, but as a macro level, when you add all of those parcels, how much, how much housing we could get given our current zoning conditions out of you know San Francisco, basically. So it's never meant to be looked at at a parcel level. It's meant to look at the citywide mm -hmm. level. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay. Um, yes, a lot to digest still for me. Um, and you know, I appreciate the you know, you know the changes, um, and you know, this is tries to, I mean, I'm not going to lie, this tries to compromise everyone's perspectives, everyone's, um, every um, aspect of how we should continue with the city or how the city should be built. And so this, I find this a very, uh, you know, very t hard task for the planning department and also for us in the commission um, on how to grapple with this. And, but I do want to, you know, kind of like what President Tanner mentioned, that this is not the end of the process. There is still, I mean, this is just the beginning <laughs> of the process. And that, you know, there, I mean, the, the, I mean, it's gonna take a lot of resources for the planning department. And that's what I'm nervous about, is actually the resources that it's gonna take, the implementation part of it. I mean, I, I, you know, the goal of the housing element in itself is to create this kind of policies and standards for us to go in over into a direction 
Um, so I appreciate that. And uh, unfortunately, Commissioner uh, President Tanner, I, um, in terms of the, uh, you know, putting the aggress the language of aggressive, I, um, I don't think that it's something I can support. Um, I think, you know, this is something that I think that the planning department has actually, and the staff has actually looked over and, um, so yeah, and I'm all, you know, at the end of the day, my, my, I do have frustrations with HCD. I'm not going to lie with that. And, and I think with the inclusion of other sections of 8.1.5 and 8.1 I mean, those are the things that we're trying to comply and compromise with HCD. Um, and so there is kind of like an egg and chicken type kind of thing that if we don't comply, we don't get this kind of fundings that we definitely need. Um, so that's also a hard, some, something hard for me to wrestle around, but you know, but except what it is, but thank you. Yeah, I can definitely appreciate that, that challenge that's very real. Commissioner Moore? Uh, hats off to the uh, planning department. This is the most unusual and most challenging piece of work I've seen in my entire time uh, sitting on this commission. And what's remarkable about it is that the engagement, the ability to be open and engage with the community to the extent that you have, has seen a major evolution and deepening of the quality of what's in front of us. And again, there will be always more and more questions. I appreciate uh, President Tanner's specific questions, and I think she received uh, detailed back feedback from some of the commissioners of how to react to it. I appreciate uh, 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 Commissioner um, Imperial's uh, challenging comments uh, regarding something which has been of great concern to me. I have written to the department, to the director, uh, about my uh, very deep unease about uh, actions 815 through 818 and listening very carefully uh, through the discussion that happened in the last uh, 10, 15, 30 minutes, uh, I would like to ask as to whether or not we can broaden the language under 8.15 in order to eliminate the uncertainty by which the community still violently reacts to the storage. Uh, Director Hillis uh, um, made a number of important comments but instead of them just being promises or references uh, which cannot in the moment be substantiated, I am wondering as to whether or not we can broaden the language under 8.15 uh, to footnote those actions and compromises and commitments that are made in other parts of the document that they would apply to this particular incidence when the circuit breaker, I don't have a better word, uh, action uh, steps in. And if that could be done, uh, I would uh, feel comfortable uh, to support what's in front of us without that being done. I remain very anxious and share the community's concern about the potential consequences of what this could be. Thank you, Commissioner Moore. I see Ms. Shion. Did you want to respond to Commissioner Moore's question? Yeah, there is. Uh, there could be a, a 
a direct way to address the concern that uh, Commissioner Moore and Commissioner Imperial raised. There's there's a bullet, in, and again, the 815, as you know, has been a complicated action uh, where um, HCD and the Planning Department staff have recently addressed some of the equity concerns. But there's a bullet that says consider outreach that could be revised to say consider shall consider community engagement, uh, which will ensure that the components that Director Hillis just explained is part of this process. But could this particular, uh, I appreciate your uh, really uh, supportive comment, could that particular engagement be timed? It, like community engagement sometimes meets here, I'll invite the folks to come by and listen to what we have already done. Or does that really mean that from the very onset, this will be a long and arduous study uh, to run parallel to what else is happening, that there would be an engagement from the very beginning and not eight months later or whenever in a casual way by which we normally uh, engage the community. We, we can also link, we can indicate child consider community engagement as per section 4.2, which specifies under a number of actions, what are the qualities of appropriate community planning. Commissioner Moore, if I may, uh -huh. I just want to hear from Ms. Shiona to make sure I'm tracking what she's saying. Yes. Are you saying to Thank add you. to add another bullet that says shall consider or shall perform community engagement Any? instead of outreach? So shall in that bullet, instead of starting with consider, we'll start with the word shall. So it will read shall consider and we'll re replace the word outreach with community engagement as per sec, as per uh, implementing program 4.2, which spells out the qualities of a robust and substantial community planning program. Okay, did you capture that, Commissioner Moore, as well? Shall consider yes. engagement with uh, uh, per uh, section 4.2 with areas that may be, and then it be the rest of that sentence. Uh, yes, I, under, I, I, I hear that and I can accept that, uh, given that there is enough reference to what that means. Great. But is this, the, uh, to just to rephrase my question, uh, Ms. Chiang, uh, this would be, what, what I'm hearing is that you would be committing to, from the beginning, engagement, not at some vague point in the future. That's correct. I think that will be spelled out under those functions. And, and there are other actions that uh, you have that indicated at the last hearing that the engagement and the collaboration starts January 31st of next year. Okay. Uh, and we would have sufficient resources identified and set aside, including budget planning for the, for the commission to consider in the next coming months to substantiate what you were just saying. We have also added language to 817 to um, allocate the staff resources for those activities. Okay, thank you. I think this was my biggest concern and I want to give other commissioners uh, time uh, to uh, weigh in. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Moore and Ms. Chion. Commissioner Diamond. 
Um, it's a question for the city attorney. At the beginning, Commissioner Tanner made a reference to including language on um, Prop I um, and the property transfer tax. I wanted to make sure that inclusion of that language as proposed did not create any unintended problems or adverse consequences for us. If we could, this is Deputy City Attorney Kristen Jensen. If we could circle back and um, have the commissioner restate what that language was to make sure that I caught it. There was a lot of uh, there's a lot of language that I was around. saying. Um, it would just be to in that um, in one point one point two to use a such as the property transfer tax to indicate types of general fund resources that can be allocated towards affordable housing. Yes, yeah, such as the property transfer tax. If we can, I'm looking at today's version, which doesn't have that section. So let me okay. pull up the right draft, and if we could put a pin in this and circle back. Yeah, in just it a would few probably minutes. be in the implementing plan final revisions document that I think was part of. I don't remember where we got it from, but it was part of today's information because um, it was not. Yeah, it's not in the memo of today. I think it was last night. Maybe. Yeah, last, it was a last night memo. <laughs> Did staff want Thank to you. My <laughs> colleague was able to okay. <laughs> jump to my rescue with the right text. Unfortunately, though, uh, because you are not talking to one of the city attorneys that deals with our tax code, I'm not sure I can give you advice on the record. I think this is one of those items I'd be a little concerned about including today without us having an opportunity to look at any possible ramifications of it because I don't want to include a time bomb in today's well, amendments um, that become problematic. So. This might be an item that should be set aside for the possible addition. I know we are, uh, our item C is specifically um, creating an opportunity for a further hearing if there are other changes that are required from HCD comments. So it might be worthwhile to sort of put this on the list of things to be considered at that time if a future hearing ends up being held. But it's not something I can give advice yeah. on the record today. Okay. I mean, I think that's all right. I. I think we've talked about this specific question a couple times in several hearings. I'm a little disappointed that we haven't had a chance to look at that um, and see if we can include that language. And we've had recommendations from Board of Supervisors yeah. and from uh, one of our other city committees to include such language. So, Could, Can we go to Ms. Chiang? Because did, we did kind of respond to this game came up in the board hearing, too. So I know we made changes to the language to kind of address. But when we talked to the city attorney about the fact that it's a general fund uh, sure. You know, tax and whether we can we can allocate it. Ms. Chen, are you there? Can you talk yeah, about yeah, kind of changes we made related to this request, or do you know off the top of your head? Yeah, I mean, those changes are not uh, appearing in the implementation actions because they are in the policies. Uh, but we can flag those for you in in a moment. There are several areas where we have considered that we have considered the ex expansion of the the affordable housing budget and that for that you have a specific action uh, we have uh, included propi again in the policies as an example uh, this is not 
instructing uh, the city to allocate this resource for future uses, but in the spirit of what, what President Tenor has indicated, uh, we have several, several sources that can be allocated to, um, to, to our affordable housing tasks. And uh, there is That's not gonna work. one more one more section that I'll get to you in a, in, in a moment. But we have addressed that specific concern, and we can figure out what's the appropriate language in, in the next few minutes that we can include under 112. I will say, uh, for my part, if it is in the policies, and I would hope that we can make sure that as the board gets it, those members who are concerned about that see that it was changed, that's sufficient for me. I just wanted to make sure that we had responded to them. Right, and I just wanted to make clear, I don't have any objection to it. I just want to make sure we're not creating a legal problem for ourselves. So Neither, I don't want to do that either. Yeah, so. yeah, right, <laughs> that, that somehow we have to come back and amend it because we put something in that's creating some tax issue or some other issue that we're not all aware of that's... Deputy City Attorney yeah. Kristen Jensen, one more time on the record. I would note that the existing language in 1.1.2 is broad enough that it doesn't preclude considering those funds. So, you know, the language I think you're proposing would be to specifically consider them, but I don't think that it is precluded in the language as it's currently phrased. Yeah, so it's certainly I don't not know if that gives yeah. any additional comfort. I, I would agree. I, again, I was just trying to be responsive. Again, we got some correspondence. We heard the board talk about this, and I want to make sure that when they get this and they just get it up or down, that they have, we've responded to the, the comments that they made. And if we did it in the policy section and not here, I'm okay with that. And I think to your point, uh, Ms. Jensen, this is includes that by definition because that's part of the general fund, and so that's included right. at their discretion. So the other thing is, since you raised this point, I've been rereading and rereading and rereading this language from HCD about that um, for this, these and other reasons, the city should pursue its most aggressive rezoning scenario as part of adoption and implement the midterm evaluation and consultation with HCD. I don't know what that means. Um, and so I I'm very reluctant to start including language that says that somewhere in here when I don't know what they were getting at. I don't know if they're saying pursue it in conjunction right now when we do the rezoning or if they're saying if we get to 815 and it's a midterm evaluation, you know, do the most aggressive rezoning. I also don't know what's meant by the most aggressive rezoning and I'm anxious about creating language that various groups could come back and say you didn't do what we or some judge is going to interpret as the most aggressive rezoning. So I'm, we should absolutely be pursuing language, and I think it's in here, and if it's not, we should say it, that says our goal is to reach the RENA, you know, at a minimum, um, the RENA uh, numbers and try and exceed them. But to go further and say the most aggressive rezoning, I just, I'm worried about lack of definition as to what that means and that coming back to haunt us. So yeah. I, I'm still struggling with that language unless others or the city attorney has anything to say about that language. I would agree with you, and I think I've been persuaded by staff through the, our conversations that, that HCD is satisfied, and I think even to your point, thinking about it being under their comments to 8.1.5, it may in fact be talking about that rezoning should be yeah. the most robust. If our first effort was insufficient, then... Yeah. Our next try should be more than, right. you know, yeah. try harder. And if if we have this general sense from staff that the language we put into 815 already satisfies them, then I'm not sure we should go further, especially because 
this entire document is structured on not just accomplishing the RENA goals, but going further than that, going to 1.1.5. And we should be using a combination of rezoning on the west side and removing constraints and trying to protect the priority geography areas to accomplish that. So, and if we don't, then there's an 815 trigger that will tell us to do even more. So. Do you have any further comments, Commissioner Diamond? Okay, Commissioner Bronner, Koppel, anything? I'm not seeing anything else. Um, staff, I wanted to just come back to, um, and again, I apologize that it's a policy or action that's been before us, and just now I was having, rereading it, uh, well, yesterday and then this morning, the 1.3.3. Um, so I just, I want to just make sure, again, that second sentence, and maybe I'm being nitpicky, but I, I, because it, because the concern around protecting our inclusionary program is so heightened, and I share that heightened sensitivity to it, this seems to say we're going to do an assessment, but then the changes that are made, it's kind of restricting or guiding how those changes are made. Changes, you know, must do the following. And so I still don't know what it means when it says the changes, if, the, if there are any changes, they must improve or maintain the current affordability of inclusionary units. What does that mean? I think that's a, that's a good question. <laughs> we should <laughs> refine it. What do you think we're trying to do? Because my interpretation of what we were trying to do with this language is we're trying to say, hey, we're going to assess our tiers. We're going to look at it. We want to make sure that our requirements for inclusion are not impeding or undermining the state density bonus law. We want to reduce staff time you know, needed for it, expertise, like make it yeah. easier to do our inclusionary program, right? Yeah. That sounds good. But then we want to do any changes that we find from this assessment must improve or maintain the current affordability of inclusionary units. And I don't know if that's referring to kind of the nexus or economic analysis that's done on the inclusionary program or what is that referring to? I think yeah. there's another action that addresses that, like that talks about the work that's being done with the TAC. I think this one is just addressing tiers. And the tiers get overly complicated, right? Because okay. there are several tiers. It's It's difficult at, and then there's the layer of there's different tiers for ownership versus rental mm -hmm. and when state density bonus comes into play there's additional tiers so we were looking to simplify that okay. kind of a tier structure okay. but also overall not impact the overall afford you know the overall target of you know affordability generally in a in a in a project right now i think separate from this there are other actions I kind of reinforce the tax role and what they're doing to look at kind of where we've where we've pegged the inclusionary rate as far as, as far as feasibility. But I think this is just getting at that tiers. If we did some restructuring of the tiers, overall affordability in a project would remain the same. The level, you know, the, the number, the, kind of the general number right. of units would remain the same. Right. Okay. So it'd be like if we had eighty percent, sixty percent tiers, hundred percent tiers. We probably could go to all 80% with the same number that would maintain the same level level of affordability on a project, Got it, but, but would kind of simplify Got it. The, the tiers, which I will say are, are complex. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know this. <laughs> yeah, so I, I would not suggest simplify, but having more um, actually um, looking into the inclusionary tiers. Um, be, um, again, it, it is, um, you know, I think what Director Hill is talking about and um, 
correct me if I'm wrong, director, is about the averaging of the affordability right, in right. the units or of the building. And that would include different kinds of inclusionary tiers in the building itself. Um, as of now, the inclusionary is mostly uh, very low income to low income. And I believe that's also with home ownership as well. Yeah. So maybe it could change some. Home ownership will be low income to um, middle income. Yeah. yeah. And so then if there may be, I could imagine there's a scenario where we, we expand the tiers to reach further or something perhaps, and we'd have to figure out how that would be, or, or so, I don't know. Yeah. The, that would be a more a legislative right process. Yeah. yeah. No, this would all, this no. would all need legislative. All be legislative, yeah. yeah. I just, I want to, and I, and then partly it's because of what <clears throat> Commissioner Diamond actually just said about the other one, which is not having language in here that gets to a court and then they are saying, what does this mean? And then, it, you know, it, it means something that we are not intending and I'm, not sure that the language right now addresses it, but if, if folks feel like they know what this says, I'm okay with it. I, I just don't think it says what you all just described yeah. to me. I mean, maybe changing um, it to the average affordability of inclusionary units and retain or expand the number of units, you know, to get at this broader issue. Can you repeat that again? Uh, where it says changes to inclusionary tiers and requirements must or approve or maintain the average affordability of inclusionary units. Uh, yeah, that and might. And retain or expand the number of units. Yeah, and yeah. I think because current also, you know, if current the TAC changes something next year, current to when, current to when this analysis is performed or, yeah. you know, to maybe, yeah, changing current to average affordability of inclusionary can, units. Can yeah, we ask for I'm sorry to interrupt. We've oh, yeah. been, we've been, uh, we want to be able to show the um, actions that we're discussing, and I apologize oh. that we haven't done that earlier. But that's if that's great. okay, TV could put that right, so we can get it in real time, so we can accurately provide the language. Yes, this is great. So we can edit as we go, hopefully, and that will capture it accurately. Thank you, SFGov, for going to the computer. I will share for 1.1.2 I am okay with withdrawing my suggestion based on hearing staff say that we're not sure about the legal analysis and it is included in the policy section so thank you very much for making this slide but I think we'll just leave it as is based on what we know today and I hope the Board of Supervisors hear that we it is in the policy section, which is another several page document that we have to look through. Your... <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I apologize, technical difficulties. Yeah. Well, that's all right. This is great. This is great. And this is um, in our packet, folks, the last bullet, just to make sure that those are the affordable units in those public lands. That's our targeted number that HTD asked for it, and they asked for it around um, income level. Commissioner Moore, did you have, uh, did you want to add in? I just wanted to generally say how difficult it is to speak about changes without seeing the final verbiage in front of us. We're making changes here, all of them by listening to them are substantive and important. Ultimately, it is the exact phrases that are being inserted uh, and what they say. We all understand language differently, and I'll be the first one to admit that. And particularly to my point earlier, under 1.1.5, adding footnotes that reference commitments to public engagement, I want to also make sure that uh, if uh, 8.1.5 becomes necessary based on the, uh, on the 
choices we made, are we sure that we are clear on prioritizing affordable housing at that point? Um, I think we, I don't know if you can see it on your WebEx, the staff have created a PowerPoint to try to show the language and I think they're just gonna go through it. I think we'll get to the 8.1.5 in a minute perhaps and then seeing that bullet point you wanna. The space is made large enough uh, because I'm sitting on a small screen and uh, do I see. not see what's in front of the rest of you, I would be able to read it. This is what I see right now here under 8.1.2 is barely readable. Um, Com okay. Commissioner Moore, if you actually hover your cursor over that screen there's an option yeah. to move that to the stage and then it will increase the size of it oh thank you uh, mr Ion. Uh, I, <laughs> doing that i see your name that's the only thing i see great uh, the other thing we can do is once we get through all this we could take a short break so that we can email it to you to make sure you can read it at a proper size and then come back and take our vote once we kind of are settled that way that would be very helpful yeah uh, yeah, we, and then we can also just have a break. Um, okay, so 1.1.2 1. 1. Um, is, uh, I withdraw unless anyone else feels strongly about needing to have that included. Okay. I guess my, my one question is, um, do we know where it is in the policy document? I know it's another <laughs> whole large document, but is it, I mean, I, I'm having trouble finding it. Um, so I just wanna make sure that it's addressed. Or it's referenced. Sorry, what was the question, Prop I? Uh, do we, do we know where the the prop i reference is in the policy document if it's in there i just um i know that we've heard it's in there but i'm having trouble locating it how about we go to the next one and we'll come back somebody in staff can look for it yeah. and tell us yeah. where it is while we're going to the next one perhaps add some language and reference some policy something mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i would note though on 1.1.2 this does say including regular general fund allocations i mean maybe mm -hmm. that's where including you know Mm -hmm. such as the real estate transfer tax, but that's, it is, it is a general fund tax yeah. or general fund revenue source. That's true. But Miriam is checking. Okay. Thank you, Ms. Shion. Why don't we go to the next one? Ms. Shion is looking up, I think, where it is. So this was revising just to make sure it's clear that we have our numerical and it's an income target as well. Any questions or comments on this, commissioners? Okay. This is what we were just talking about, the tiers program. Um, just trying to make, and see that's kind of, again, where I was, I think I maybe misinterpreted, and I kind of suggested we have feasibility of constructing and operating, because I wasn't clear if it was the affordability of the units for the, the affordability level of the units, which is now what I'm understanding, versus the cost to rent them or the cost to build them. Yeah. And so we're actually talking about the AMI group, right? Right. Yeah, so I, I wonder if it's. That's my understanding as well in the original, yeah, is that regarding the AMI levels. So maybe it's changes to inclusionary tiers and requirements. You had something, Rich, that you said that I forgot so, so already. So the current, that struck out here. I mean, if you just, I think if you just change 1.3.3, change current to affordability, keep it the way it's written, you get at the issue you're, uh, you're to maintain affordability of inclusionary housing units. Average affordability. Average affordability. Yeah, That's what it was. Average yeah. affordability. Just, just to note that the board does have the ability to change the inclusionary rate, the affordability levels that are targeted, and and then the controller is mandated to do a study every three years to inform that. 
process. So I, I don't know that we want to preclude the board from doing that. I don't know that we're doing that here, but I just think we have to be careful. I think changing must to should makes more of a suggestion that we would like to maintain versus that the board must. We definitely wouldn't want to have one of their policies require a general plan amendment because it's out of, inconsistent with the housing element. So changes to inclusionary tiers and requirements should improve or maintain average affordability of inclusionary housing units. I think that's, and then I, I do wonder if changing number to fraction because it's not typically a number, right? It's a proportional system or maybe even proportion of units. It should maintain or expand the proportion of units required. following along <laughs> comments or questions from commissioners on this one well, I guess um, I have a question so in the second part where we talk about we say changes to inclusionary tiers and requirements must retain or expand the percentage of units required um, since we just changed the must to should in the previous sentence um, and since this is ultimately you know this this is going to come out of the work from the TAC and then the Board of Supervisors decisions should that one also be a should retain or expand I would agree mm -hmm. yeah Yes, okay. I think we concur. <laughs> okay. Great. Any other comments on this one? Thank you, staff. This is really helpful. Um, this one I think I also okay to, to rest, and I think thank you, Commissioner Diamond, for rereading that paragraph many times as well um, to say that it, we're not clear what that's referring to when they said be aggressive, um, and so I think we can let it go. Let it go? Yep. Yes. Delete that one. Yeah, we can just keep 7.1.1 as it is. And I think um, Commissioner Moore, Commissioner Imperial, this is addressing some of the concerns you had really tying the mm -hmm. community planning in 4.2 to um, this action should it be needed. Mm -hmm shall consider community engagement in alignment with implementing program area 4.2 in areas that may be disproportionately impacted with displacement risk beyond priority equity geographies. Thank you. Yes. Any other comments or questions about this, commissioners? We're good. Good. Thank you. Okay. And this is just my request to try to ensure that when we're talking about constraints that there's uh, not just seen as just monetarily constraint, but really the kind of breadth of government constraints. Um, so this is a new, and this was a new sentence that was added since our last meeting. Question? I, I want to make sure that this language isn't going to preclude the adoption and application of at the objective design standards that we're aiming to move to? Uh, it's really a question for no, you, Director Hill. No, it should not. Okay, thank mm -hmm. you. Is this? Okay, go ahead, Commissioner Brown. Sorry. No, <laughs> go ahead. Um, I guess my question is, this is a very specific list of, of just three things. Have we, co have we covered the 
full range of the constraints, the categories of constraints identified in the constraints analysis. I just don't remember if we really have good coverage this way. To that point, I would suggest that we actually, what we could do is instead of having it be, is a city imposed requirement of blah, 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 it would just be at the, at the a new sentence at the end that says uh, a government constraint could be related to process, fees, design, or other aspects of city imposed constraints. I don't know, Commissioner, constraints. you could also use the phrase including but not limited to. There we oh, go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's someone who's been around the podium. I say he's done this before. Right? <laughs> and I wonder if we should say that it impacts the cost of development, but anyhow, that's fine. Because the constraint, I guess, always is not always bad. But. Okay with this one? Looks good to me. Okay. And thank you for adding that specificity. Yeah. Can you go back to that for one second? I think you just the missing comma, which seems Oh yeah, we're here. At the end of design, I oh, think yeah. you need a comma. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. And this would be basically we're acquiring sites between 2022 to 2026, and then it's not enough, it's not sufficient. We're going to try to boost that acquisition 50% above whatever we have acquired. Yeah. Any comments or questions? That was the end of the list of our revisions. I think that covers everything that, that everything. we spoke about. I think that's about everything. Okay, yeah. Any other comments that we didn't look at that commissioners had? I think that does cover everything. So why yes. don't we take a, Commissioner Moore, did you have something? We'll yes, do. I, I wanted to ask one more time, it's partially because uh, of the size I'm reading, despite the fact that I'm bringing it on, onto the screen under 8.1.5, uh, 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 shouldn't we spell out that we are prioritizing the production of affordable housing in this particular, uh, at this particular okay. step? Uh, I asked for that before, but I don't see it spelled out. I see the reference to the implementation program and community participation, uh, but I do not see that at that point, uh, priori prioritization of uh, affordable housing production. We're only committing to uh, overall uh, program goals. Yeah. I think the, what the Director Hillis had said was that Basically, if because it would be an analysis performed by affordability, if we're not performing on the affordable, then that would be where this would Correct. focus. But if we're not performing on all of them, it would touch all income levels. It just kind of depends where we are. Is that correct? correct Director? We look at the tiers. So we look at where we're producing. If we're overproducing or producing more on the market rate level, we would we would th this action would would target affordable. So we target where we're not 
producing. So, so um, you are basically assuming that this averaging will come just with the process of having to account for how, how much you have built of what. So if you're underbuilding on one, you will be forced to build in the category where you are underbuilding. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. And then I, before we take our break, I know we were going to look to where Prop I is referenced or where the property transfer tax is referenced in the policies. Were we able to identify that? Yeah, I think we were able to identify it. It's uh, in the plan document, um, if you have it open, it's, it's in section under objective four. For A, the objective is substantially expand the amount of permanently affordable housing for extremely low and moderate uh, income households at the top of page. And then there's a, a bulleted list of potential funding sources at the top of page 47. The third bullet uh, describes the real estate transfer tax for properties valued at $10 million or higher. And Can then you there's repeat some, the page? Sorry. Just page 47. Uh, yeah, page 47. So there's objective 4A, and then it goes on to the list and includes in that list of exemplary sources mm -hmm. the transfer tax. And there's a... Can I just add? It's page 200 of the packet that was submitted. <laughs> Sorry. Just for those... I don't know what people are following. <laughs> there's, there's different... Depends <laughs> <laughs> which version you look at. Yes. It's the same. Does that satisfy you, Commissioner Braun, that it's included? Well, you can take a look at it if you found the page. I don't know if you have, but... Uh, if it's in there, I'm satisfied. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right, let's take a five-minute, well, we'll do a ten-minute break. Please, if you can send that, those slides to Commissioner Moore so she can take a look at them. And when we come back, we'll vote on, I think, our three actions today. SFGov TV, San Francisco Government Television.
you, commissioners and staff. Um, during our break, it was pointed out to me that um, 1.3.3 could perhaps be a little bit clearer if it is, in fact, talking about the tiers. And then if you look at the other, like one point, the other items that are immediately above it, which is all about the inclusionary, that this one really is trying to be about the tiers. So I wonder if it should just say inclusionary tiers instead of saying and requirements, because that's partly what made me confused and made me think it was about the entire inclusionary program, but it's actually about the tiers of affordability that is one aspect of the inclusionary program. So the amendment would be to say to assess inclusionary tiers and then strike and requirements um, to address, and then it would remain the same. And then later on when it says changes to inclusionary tiers and requirements, and requirements would be removed. It's in three places really, if this is indeed intended to be about the tiers. Director Hillis, is that in line with what your understanding of this yes. is supposed to be? Yes, I mean, this is about the tiers. You could also say tier requirements, but I think just tiers is clear. Commissioner Braun. Because 1.3.1 and 1.3.2 address kind of the inclusionary broader. rates and the broader inclusionary. So, okay, so does that mean we should remove the uh, reference to the percentage of units required since that's addressed in 1.3.1 and 1.3.2? I don't know, let me pull them up. <laughs> but just putting it out there, if this is just uh -huh, about the tiers, the um, then the overall percentage might be addressed in the prior yeah. items. So I think actually then what we should do is have it read as thus. Just have the second sentence, changes to inclusionary tiers should improve or maintain average affordability of inclusionary housing units, including with consideration to rents, purchase prices, and HOA fees. So I had added a second sentence. We basically can just, I think, get rid of that. Because if this is about tiers, then it isn't about the percentage, correct, of units. It's just about the affordability tier. Could you reread yeah. that, please, one more time? Yeah. So the new language would read, well, so in the, in the first sentence of 1.3.3, it would say assess inclusionary tiers, and the word mm -hmm. and requirements would be struck. Right. And then this, the new sentence, that's the second sentence, would say changes to inclusionary tiers and I should strike and requirements there as well. Should say changes to inclusionary tiers should improve or maintain average affordability of inclusionary housing units, including with consideration to rents, purchase prices, and HOA fees. Does that seem all right to everyone? Okay, so w with this change then, I think we are concluded. Ms. Shion, did you wanna add something? Yeah, uh, this, and, and maybe it's already covered, but this is where I believe we got one edit from HCD that with all this assessment and analysis that overall, this doesn't become a reduction in the number of units. Yeah. But if Director Hillis, you feel that we're addressing that appropriately in the other actions, well, I so will, uh, 
on this one, I just get so I actually would leave in the changes to inclusionary tiers should retain or expand the number of percentage of units required because okay. basically yeah. you're yeah. saying it, if it's 18 percent, it's 18 percent. If we change the tiers, it should remain 18 percent. I you see. You may okay. reconfigure things again. Okay. The example yeah. we're at 60, 80, and 100, 18 percent. It's divided. You want to make everything 80 at a mm -hmm. with the full 18 percent. You still should be, should maintain that tier. Okay. So I. You, I get to think you could strike requirements again. Changes right. to inclusionary tiers should retain or expand the percentage so, yeah. of units required, Got not it. the number percentage. I, yeah, I agree with that too because uh, when I go back to 1.3.1 and 1.3.2, they actually don't reference specifically maintaining the, uh, percentage, the, the percentage requirement. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So then, and then um, if you can strike the word number, Miss um, Tong, that would be great. Expand the num. It should say expand the percentage, not number percentage great okay wait um, hold on um, okay, sorry <laughs> just to <laughs> clarify um my understanding what director hilly said is that the required tiers right um should be maintained so changes to inclusionary tiers and requirements i i feel like we should add that changes to inclusionary tiers that are required should retain and so I don't want to change the inclusion. Well, they will, this will be legislative anyway, but changes to inclusionary tiers and its requirements should retain because when, let's say, in state density bonus, there's, there should be 20% affordable housing units in it, and then there should be 5% you know, or 10% low income, you know, 5% middle income. Those are the requirements of the inclusionary tier. So in a way, changes to inclusionary tiers and requirements should retain. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the problem because is it is it is it inclusionary tier requirements or is it broadly inclusionary requirements? And yeah. I think all of us were reading this because if you look at 1.3.1, 1.3.2, they're more addressing the broader inclusionary, well, but this is really just focused on tiers. tiers. So should it say changes to inclusionary tiers and their requirements? And their requirements, I think, is fine mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be better. Okay. Change it again, Ms. Tom. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like I'm in a classroom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, the secretary was suggesting that, um, and staff, maybe when you're ready, we should read our changes back into the record because it's a pretty significant just moment that we're in and we're making changes on the fly. And then we could have a, I guess, should we have a motion to make the changes or should the changes be read and then a motion? I affirming think, them? I think they should be read into the record and then a motion should be made to reflect those amendments that were read into the record. Great. Could you read them slowly? I printed them out but had problems printing them there because I came in, in as a um, PowerPoint and uh, want to make sure that I catch everything you're saying. Certainly. And do you want me to read it? Or is staff going to read it? Staff. Is that microphone on? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, we can read it. Okay, uh, so for 1.1.2, we decided that we will not be changing this one. So we can move on to the next one. And for 1.2.6, in the second to the last sentence, we will add the word affordable. So it will read 
the city will target 500 to 2,000 affordable units in the RENA planning period and revisit strategies as appropriate. In 1.3.3, it will now say assess inclusionary tiers to address the financial feasibility to, of housing development, to increase certainty for housing projects, to ensure inclusionary requirements do not impede or undermine use of state density bonus law, and to reduce staff time and need for specific expertise. Changes to inclusionary tiers should improve or maintain average affordability of inclusionary housing units. Changes to inclusionary tiers and their requirements should retain or expand the percentage of units required, including with consideration to rents, purchase prices, and HOA fees. Okay. We decided we're not changing 7.1.1. And for 8.1.5, we are revising the last bullet to say, shall consider community engagement in alignment with implementing program area 4.2 in areas that may be disproportionately impacted with displacement risk beyond priority equity geographies. Okay. 8.1.6, will now say in alignment with the provisions and purpose of the Housing Crisis Act of 2019, Government Code 66300, any city adopted rezoning or development controls shall not impose any new governmental constraints to the development of housing unless those increased constraints are offset by the removal or reduction of other constraints. A new governmental constraint is a city-imposed requirement including but not limited to process, fees, or design that increases the cost of development, not in effect on January 31st, 2023, not including mitigation measures adopted in compliance with CEQA or a requirement adopted to specifically protect against a threat to health or safety. And this is the last one, 8.1.10. Uh, In the second bullet, we are adding, uh, we are changing it to increase the land banking strategy to accommodate 50% more affordable housing units than the capacity of the sites acquired from 2022 to 2026. Thank you, staff. Thank you very much for tracking all that. Commissioner Koppel. We'll see if I can bring this home. Thank you to everyone involved, especially our little dream team of <clears throat> instantly um, getting our edits up on a presentable format. Great job, everybody. Um, <clears throat> I've got three. De- we've got three decisions to make. Correct. I can make them all in one motion, though. So yes. let's do this. I will move to adopt the sequel findings. The MMRP and general plan consistency findings. Also approve the recommendation to adopt the housing element 2022 update and amendment to the general plan. As amended. As As amended. To the record by staff. Yeah, we did some amendments. One very very small um, possible correction to the last one that we were looking at. Um, If we could get SFGov TV to put screen up again. 
So uh, it says by January 2026, the Interagency Housing Element Implementing Committee. And then at the end, it says that the period that they're looking at is sites acquired from 2022 to 2026, implying as if it would go through 2026. So do we want to say to the beginning of 2026 or uh, to 20, through 2025? A, a period that would allow a committee meeting in early 2026 to <laughs> be responding to the right period of time. That's what we're trying to correct. I don't know the answer to the question, but I think the answer is yes. Um. <laughs> well, can you clarify your we'll question you, again? Like, <laughs> uh, Mr. Pappas, can you clarify your question is for the interagency housing element implementing committee shall meet like January 2025? Is that what you're... Suggesting? I think I'm suggesting that uh, just the change that Ms. Tong made in the last bullet to change the time oh, period that they're looking at to be through 2025. And therefore, they would meet in 2026 and look at what had happened over the preceding four that years. That seems sensible. That's Understood. Great. And I think that's what Commissioner Koppel also meant when he amended. 100%. <clears throat> And number three, approve the initiation to make further amendments to the general plan. Second. Okay, if there's no further deliberation, commissioners, I think we've landed um, on a motion uh, that would uh, adopt sequel findings and mitigation monitoring and reporting program, uh, adopt a resolution um, adopting the housing element 2022 update as amended and read into the record by staff and conforming general plan amendments um, and then initiating possible amendments in the future on that motion commissioner braun just sorry before we vote i just wanted to i just before we vote because it's sometimes anticlimactic after we vote i just wanted to recognize staff that have put you know in many cases years into this effort yeah. You know, Miriam is on online because she's sick today and has a broken leg and has kind of, you know, <laughs> got us to this point where where we're at. But James and Malena, who've been there, I think Malena's been there from the beginning, as as we've known. Rihanna and Lauren, uh, Kimia, who's not here but who started this this effort. Josh and Lisa Chen from uh, our our citywide division. Wade in EP. Deborah and Liz White. Rihanna. And uh, Liz Wadi, Maya Small, who's not here, and, and Shelley Caltagirone, and our wonderful city attorneys, Andrea and Audrey, who are here. I'll even ask that we break protocol and just give everybody a round of applause because yeah. you have done you tremendous work. <laughs> tremendous, tremendous work. Any other comments? No, sorry. I, <clears throat> I, was kind of I just add my thanks to two. <laughs> On that motion, Commissioner Braun. Aye. Commissioner Rui, oh, excuse me, Commissioner Diamond. Aye. Commissioner Imperial. Aye. Commissioner Koppel. Aye. Commissioner Moore. Aye. And Commissioner President Tanner. Aye. So moved, Commissioners. That motion passes unanimously, six to zero. Congratulations, everyone. Ooh. Talk about anticlimactic. This will place us under our discretionary review calendar <laughs> for item nine. Case number 2022-003765-DRP for the property at 110 32nd Avenue. This is a discretionary review, commissioners, that will close out your 2022 hearing schedule.
Good evening, Commissioners. David Winslow, Staff Architect. The item before you is a public initiated request for discretionary review of building permit application number 2022.0329.1124 to construct a third story horizontal addition to a three story single family dwelling. The DR requester, uh, Simon, uh, sorry, Sanford Garfinkel of 855 El Camino del Mar, the adjacent neighbor to the north is concerned that the proposal will significantly impact light and privacy. His proposed alternatives are to, one, separate the west-facing roof deck space from the northeast-facing area with a short wall or parapet attached in Exhibit 3 of your packets, um, to condition this northeast portion of the roof as an unoccupiable roof deck for, except for maintenance. Number three, eliminate doors from the solarium to this portion of the roof and four, use obscure glass on the lower floor new windows. Uh, the department has received no letters in support or in opposition to this proposal. Staff confirms support for this as it not only complies with the planning code but also to the residential design guideline, articulate buildings to minimize impacts to light and air. The project proposes a 200 square foot rear extension to the third story that is set back eight feet four inches from the adjoining property line over an existing roof deck. The remaining portion of the northeast roof deck at the third floor is rendered minimally visible uh, by the, or rendered minimal by the proposed addition. A new guardrail is proposed to be glass with the distance between the edge of the deck and the rear wall of the DR requester being approximately 20 feet. Adequate to ensure access to light. And the deck location and distance do not also seem to pose an undue burden to privacy. Therefore, staff recommends not taking discretionary review and approving. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Rinthal. DR requester, you have a five-minute presentation. Thank you, commissioners, for uh, the opportunity to re listen to my request for a discretionary review. I, my name is Sandy Garfinkel, and I've been in my residence for 49 years, and my connection, uh, my rear yard, uh, connects to the applicants. Uh, so the um, back of my house, my uh, bedroom, kitchen, dining room, is 20 feet, my windows are 20 feet from the north elevation of their house. I'm talking about um, three windows, um, but to get in perspective, what I'm talking about is correcting their building application. Their building application states that uh, they uh, refer to, oh, their building application uh, expired and the planning department asked them to do a new application. So they referred to, in the new application, they referred to the approved permit application numbers. Okay. Their approved application numbers say replacement of all windows in kind. There are three windows, I believe three windows, that face, that are 20 feet away from me, that face me, that are fixed obscure glass. 
All I'm asking is to stay with the building permit. No changes, nothing extraordinary. Just keep the three windows the way they are. They want to change the location or the size, that's fine. But the new application does not say that they will replace them in kind. So we have a dilemma. Um, I've tried to resolve it with the owners and their architect. I hired a consultant, a friend of mine, to talk to him. She walked through with him, the architect, and he seemed receptive, and now they've shut me down and they won't discuss it. So all I'm asking for is the status quo. The application they referred to says, replace the windows in kind. There's three windows that face me. That's all I'm asking for. Um, do you have any questions about uh, anything or? Oh, let me, the um, uh, planning department, Mr. Winslow, said that they don't enforce any uh, private agreements between uh, neighbors. That's fine. But the permit says replace in kind, not the, uh, not anything uh, uh, interaction and reasons why. It's, the permit says replace in kind. That's all I'm asking is to replace them in kind, the three windows. The other stuff, they can do what they want. Please ask me any questions of any reasons of why not or why. Yeah, we'll, you have um, a minute uh, Thank left, you very much. and then we'll ask questions when we have our time. Thank you. Very good. Project sponsor, you have a five-minute presentation if you need it. Good evening, members of the commission. My name is Sam Kwong. i the architect, and I represent the project sponsors. Uh, this project uh, started maybe three years ago, before pandemic, and uh, it was a permit to add the solarium to the top of the roof, and it was approved, and uh, due to the covert and everything, construction didn't start until you know, beginning of this year. And then um, there's a neighbor that filed a complaint and an inspector came and said, hey, your, your permit is expired, so you need to renew this uh, entire permit. So basically, we resubmitted the same design as we did before and uh, uh, went through the whole process of doing the neighborhood notice and uh, uh, getting uh, a pre-app meeting with the, with the, with the, the, the neighbors. So, so uh, we come to a uh, planner saying everything is okay, except now um, the, our neighbor decide to uh, file a discretionary review saying that um, he's losing his light and uh, shadow casting on his his property but you know in the package that I prepared for for the commissioners uh, I I have studied the the shadow during you know all times of the year and uh, I think that the planning staff sees that there's really very little impact to
continue to meet. Oh, 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 there it is. Back. Okay. Okay, must be a loose wire. Commissioners, um, so with that, we should take public comment. Members of the public, if you wish to address the commission on this discretionary review, you need to come forward if you're in the chambers. If you're calling in or online, you need to raise your hand or press star three. Seeing no request to speak, commissioners, public comment is closed. DR requester, <coughs> excuse me, you have a two-minute rebuttal. I, I don't understand. I asked um, the architect uh, uh, to discuss it. I'm not talking about anything except three windows that the original permit said would be replaced in kind. And the, I, don't, I didn't hear him answer that question. Was I wrong? I, the shadows, the windows, the, anything else they want to do is just fine. But the original permit said replace the windows in kind. And I'm, they can do anything they want, but there, I think there are three windows involved, and I re want them replaced in kind. He can change the location. He can change the configuration. But I want what's on the permit. That's all. And I didn't hear him address any of that. Thank you. Project sponsor, you have a two-minute rebuttal. Uh, members of the commission, Sam Kong. Um, I just want to say that the project sponsor's uh, uh, application on the DR was very clear about all the issues that were brought up uh, regarding shadow and privacy and all this. Um, now he's uh, changing his argument on just Windows itself. I, you know, why spend a lot of time um, addressing those issues that he specifically brought up? And uh, I think that you're here to, to make a determination if the, the requester's uh, argument is justified or, you know, we should move on with the, the project. So. I appreciate your consideration. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Mr. Wendell, I just want to make sure that I'm understanding this project correctly. There's uh, overall renovation to the house. We can see, obviously, it's pretty substantial, at least from some of the images. That includes a solarium, which is one aspect, but that it also includes some replacement of additional windows, given the look of everything. And the DR requester, you're saying that you are replacing the obscure windows with obscure windows or you're replacing them with not obscure windows that I just I'm hearing different things and I'm not sure I just want to make sure that it's that so let me ask the DR request the DR the sponsor are you replacing the obscure windows with obscure windows or are you no. not uh, the windows will be replaced as whatever was there before so if it's a clear window it was a clear window if it's an obscure window it would be, be an obscure window. window and then we made some concession in our design to eliminate some um, glass rail balcony that overlooked the neighbor's uh, property so that he will uh, maintain more privacy. privacy right, so. and I did note that. So then, Mr. Winslow, sounds like for the DR requester, part of his concern just the way the building permit described it didn't include the specific language around like-for-like -like window replacement, even though it sounds like that's the intention. Am, am I understanding that right? I think so, I mean, <clears throat> 
In looking at the permit history, there was a permit issued, uh, the permit number 2021 that was probably referred to as the original permit that indicated replacement of win windows in kind. That might have been the permit that was, has been, had, was expired before the work was done. You reapplied for a second permit. That's 2022-03-29-11, whatever it is that we're talking about here, um, that might have changed those windows from that original permit, which is well within the right of somebody to apply for a new permit. So the permit we're talking about is the current one, regardless of the 2020. And my question is, does this permit, because in the DR, in the, in our packet, in where it says the project sponsor's response, he says that the project sponsor will install obscured glass in original openings, and he just said he is intending to do like for like, so, but it's just that this permit doesn't have that same language, and is that where you're, what's? Uh, I mean, if I'm looking at this drawing that's on this permit, it, it appears that there is replacement of windows, or there is replacement of windows not in kind, mm -hmm. and you can clarify this. I'm looking at sheet, uh, well, it doesn't have a number on it in my print, this sheet. Uh, looks like there's existing windows that are becoming enlarged. Is that correct? So let, uh, let me clarify. The original permit, which expired, was for the solarium addition only. Okay. And then subsequent to that, we took out permits to do interior alterations. And then we also took out a permit to do the facade uh, renovation and also replacement of all the old aluminum windows with new um, cladded windows. So, so, those are so, so it, was a, it was a new permit that includes this new work with the window replacement. The original permit didn't have window replacement. Okay, so that's part of the confusion. There's multiple permits, it sounds like, and then some permits have different items on it um, than others. Okay, I just wanted to make sure I was understanding what exactly we're, we're talking about today. Thank you, Mr. Winslow. Thank you, project sponsor. Are there any other comments, questions, or motions from commissioners on this item? Commissioner Diamond. Is there a disagreement here? It sounds like they aren't disagreeing. It just sounds like the language of one of the permits, which I'm still not sure exactly which permit it is, does not specifically state that the windows will be replaced in kind, but we just heard testimony that that's the plan. So, You want three windows that currently have clear, uh, clouded glass to be or obscured glass to be replaced with obscured glass. Is that your plan? Well, if the architect, I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name, sir, if you could respond that you do indeed intend to replace the obscure windows with obscure windows. The, uh, what we intend to do is whatever the glass that is on the existing windows, if it's clear glass, we are going to replace it with clear glass. If it's obscured glass, we would replace it with obscured glass. Are the windows going in the same place? Where the the, the, most of the windows are in the same location. No, I'm still not understanding what the disagreement is. I think it's that it's not written down as being like for like. That's, I think there's a... And, but, but I guess a bigger question is, are there exceptional and extraordinary circumstances that make this a DR eligible action in the first place? <laughs> I, I'm not seeing... I mean, they should privately agree to do this, but I don't see this as meeting the criteria for DR because I haven't heard anything exceptional or extraordinary if that's our criteria. Yeah. Commissioner Moore, do you have a comment? 
privacy and uh, shadow and light were the issues of the DR. Is that correct, Mr. Winslow? That is correct. That was the two primary so that issues. Is that, that is the reason for DR. Other questions came up. And while in his feedback, uh, the DR requester stated that he could accept everything else other than the clarification on the windows, he shifted the question, but the question was answered. So if we feel that there is no um, issue with uh, shadow or privacy, as the department actually opined on, then I think we're ready to make a motion, which I'm prepared to do, and that is uh, do not take DR and approve as proposed. Second. There's no more further deliberation, Commissioners. There is a motion that has been seconded to not take DR and approve the project as proposed on that motion, Commissioner Braun. Aye. Commissioner Ruiz. Aye. Hey, Commissioner Diamond. Aye. Commissioner Imperial. Aye. Commissioner Koppel. Aye. Commissioner Moore. Aye. And Commissioner President Tanner. Aye. So moved, Commissioners, that motion passes unanimously 7 to 0. I congratulate you on another productive year, and I look forward to our recess and seeing you in the new year. All right. Happy New Year and happy holidays, everyone. We're happy, adjourned. Happy holidays to everybody. Thank you.